Welcome to TCP episode 199. That's right, we're only one episode away from the big 200, which will be coming up next week. You won't want to miss it. But today, we've got to catch up with some big news. Some some really interesting stuff just dropped, like, within the last, well, within the last day for us, like, like, like the last 12, 24 hours. By the time you watch this, it would have been probably already another day, but you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. Um, guys, there is a lot looming on the way for overwatch and also we had to catch up on all the team talk that we missed out on last week because uh we had technical issues where most of our episode got cut off and we couldn't finish and deliver our last week's episode properly so i uh, will pretty much just be going over those teams again and doing a big catch up on everything we didn't talk about from the previous week yeah we were thinking about doing like a weird dub with uh the the, the actual video recording you know maybe trying to put words in each other's mouths like taking each other's and just dubbing over it you know saying some dumb shit but uh you know alas have people do it in another language like just like the audio has gone but three heads are still talking and just get like three totally different people different people and just do it in totally different language yeah like a spanish tcp and just yeah just saying whatever be kind of interesting to be fair (sighs) yeah according to our, our analytics like I mean, there are those guys that sit through this. To you guys, shout out. To the other ones that we usually use, lose right around this time. Um, I guess you didn't miss much. <laughs> How are we losing people around this time? That means, I think he's like, saying like an hour in, yeah. people tend to click I off. mean, we have a demographic that is sort of slanted to the older gaming crowd, like up to 34. Mm. So I guess, goodbye Zoomers. Like your attention span ends right about now. Go back to TikTok. Like, like watch someone dance some dumb said, shit and then i i i interpret you as talking about like we lose people in the first minute which to me is like what what do we what was it was it the intro yeah. was it uh was it something i said <laughs> i'm pretty I, you know i can say some controversial stuff but i i'm pretty sure that was a really safe intro like i didn't mm. i didn't bother any That's fan bases doing that intro That's the problem uh, which you know problem. trust me i had to hold back for that because i i want to i want to bother fan bases i had to hold back a lot um but wow like what what really lost somebody in the first minute like come on what what's going on yeah can't be losing people in the first minute yes okay come on it's people who misclick like oh i was i was here to see some like an actual i don't know halo teabagging compilation and instead we got three talking heads hey so they click off like oh i click i've just clicked on the wrong thing whoops oh halo teabagging conversation aka the overwatch leaked off season or I'm not sure how, how to take that. To that. Yeah, how did you get to that? I, that's that's you had to take quite a bit of a journey to get there. <laughs> in my mind. I just connected Halo with Halo, you know. Oh right. Yeah. Okay, now I get it. Now I get it. Now <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even make that connection personally. But what but I will um, say is, if you are gonna teabag, at least keep that shit high <laughs> and tight. You know, mighty, mighty and clean. Uh, whatever that stupid bleach intro was. Uh, that's right. That's, uh, you know, keeping, keeping your nether regions cleanly, um, is, is very important to us here at tactical crouch. That's why support for tactical crouch is brought to you by manscape.com who have, uh, funnily enough, just recently announced they've uh, swept the 20 XX overwatch league award season. Yes, that's right. Manscape has announced that they are the most valuable role rookie of the stage season. No one else offers the resume, the ability, the precision engineer tools, for your family jewels. So gather the fan votes and head straight to the helm 
Manscaped are unmatched in nether realm cleanliness. No one keeps you as slick as a dolphin, like the lawnmower 4.0. To be honest, I smurf on the competition with how fresh the old combo meal is with Manscaped's Crop Reviver. And I like to stay proper and don't let, you know, try not to be left without a valentine um, as I pick up some of, you know, Manscaped's uh, proprietary crop preserver formula to keep the old cluck and bell fresh and hydrated. Uh, get 20% off with free shipping with a promo code tactical crouch. That's all caps tactical crouch. No space in there at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. That's free. Not too many things are free anymore. Um, at manscaped.com and use promo code tactical crouch. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Ooh. I think you made up a word in there. Hydronated. That's a new one. Hydronated, yeah. yeah. I think you, I think you just meant hydrated, but you know, hydronated. That's a that's a different one. That's we uh, that's what we do. We're just innovators. I think, I think main thing about hydronated. We'll talk about that later. Um speaking of Halo, by the way, you know, I I I, I agree with something that just came out recently because you know, love us, hate us. Maybe you think that we have an ego after this message, but honestly, we, we don't care. Because right now, during this offseason, we are single-handedly keeping interest in Overwatch League High, this, this podcast. So, uh, thank you for you the real ones. If you're the real ones, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and you know I'm not. You, you know I'm, I'm, I'm speaking the truth right now. So, uh, yeah. speaking of the real ones, here are, some, here are some real ones. Because episode 199, of course, brought to you by our lovely patrons. Battle Crab, Refining, Bronze Bob, Buhau, Char 8, Chris R34444, Fordino, Hunter Tain, Porkchop Sammy, Cash 67, Malshin, Rexane, Volamelon Sugar High, Volamel Smooth Nuts, Your, Mer- Your Misery, Prophet Picasso, and our YouTube members, Fire Element 6, Ice Ham Jello, Grow Roots, AK, and Chris R34444 again. For the double, actually. Amazing stuff. I always get really conscious about like how many fours I add in there. Was it the right amount of fours? Mm. I think I got it right in there, but we got the right amount of numbers for the episode numbers. Well. Yes, 199. Again, one before 200. You won't want to miss out on that episode, but also this episode, we're going to kick things off with the probably biggest piece of news that has dropped so far. Uh, so big that not even Yesa can ignore this one as far as Overwatch 2 is concerned. Uh, is it the quarterly earnings call? This is a shareholders call, right? Am I getting it right? Mm. I don't want to misrepresent so. what the thing was. Is that what it was? You guys correct me if I'm wrong. It was the quarterly earnings. I think so, yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, so now we're all agreed. That means if I got it wrong, we're all wrong. But the message that was sent during that was essentially that both Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 have been delayed. And um, that delay is, well, there's not been a time frame on it. I'll, I'll read to you the exact quote in that slide, that this report. While we are still planning to deliver a substantial amount of content from Blizzard next year, which is 2022, we are now planning for a later launch for Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 than originally envisaged. Now, what does that mean? How far into the future is that? It sounds like it'll be 2023 because Blizzard just in this particular report said they still plan to deliver content for next year. They say a substantial amount of content. I'm not too sure. Like, is that in a different game? Is that, I don't know, I, I can't imagine it's really talking about Overwatch 1 unless we're just talking about more of the same events. Um, but because they've already talked about delivering content for next year in 2022, and they're saying they're planning a later launch date, you have to imagine it's probably 2023 is what they're getting at for Overwatch 2 Diablo 4. Yeah, and I think Jason Schreier already sort of 
said that that is going to be the case. Um, of course, for those that don't know, Jason Trier is like a uh, one of the biggest investigative journalists in the gaming sphere. So usually, what he says definitely like has high credibility. Um, mm, yeah. Also, to weigh in a little bit, I I personally also believe that to be true. Um, and to be honest, like the the writing on of this was so highly on the wall that even without inside information, I think like if someone sensibly reads the flow of information that was going out, one could have uh, inferred as much already with the with the delay of BlizzCon line, um, with really not much being known, not like you would you would try to maybe get the marketing. Uh, rollout going like tease a l couple of other agent or oh, sorry um uh heroes slip <laughs> well, of the tongue you know yeah um thinking of a different game right now yeah uh and i mean th that's that's basically like um already go that, that was already like sort of like s messaging towards that being the case Unfortunately, this has, of course, also has larger implications on the esports side of things, um, which we we're surely going to talk about. But uh, for now, like, I guess there's a silver lining about they are delaying the release of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that none of us mortals will not get to play at least a beta at the end of the year. I suppose that still is possible. By the um, the information we've received, even though I will, build. yeah, uh, oh. not necessarily a beta, but maybe just a build. Yes, continue. And sorry, that's that's unfortunately also like I feel like we're we're in this once again in this weird position of having to define what Overwatch Two actually is to to us, right? Mm. So one could say like Overwatch Two is the entire package of PvP, PvP, the heroes. Uh, the new game modes, whatnot, whatnot, and everything like this. So that's part of it. One could say, like, um, like whatever new systems are coming in, like if the majority of the systems are coming in, then that counts as Overwatch 2. I personally, by what we've seen so far from, um, from the playtests and whatnot, like redesigns of the heroes... Um, even if there's a new game type, even if there's new maps, and if there's reworks, I'm sorry, I have a hard time classifying that as Overwatch 2. Because I remain that the, like, over half of the new content that will be re relevant to the PvP portion of this game mm. are the heroes being introduced. Heroes are the content of Overwatch. They are more than half the content of Overwatch. If you, if you thought, like, Time effectiveness would have been at all possible with creating new heroes. Then the easiest way to keep us held over until Overwatch 2 launches would have been to keep releasing new heroes and keep everything else in frozen in place. Like maps wouldn't have mattered. Even balance updates aren't as important when, when you introduce new heroes to the fray. Like they, this being frozen and none of them being leaked is is unfortunately over half the pie for me. And I, I, I can see how people like are excited for push and like the new engine and like the redesigns and that can feel like a new game. It doesn't to me. 
as, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, if we are not getting the new heroes, then we're not playing season five on Overwatch too. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I would tend to echo a lot of echo a lot of those same points, right? Like, um, we have been clamoring for something more novel, and I don't know that while the redesigns that we have seen do look cool, they look fresh. Um, I don't believe that the general audience, and I've been wrong in trying to measure their opinions before, uh, but I don't know how long that lasts in their mind, right? Um, one of the the biggest kind of crystalline essence driven uh, pieces of communication that I saw within these last couple of days. I think it was uh, two years to the date. Uh, I think yesterday that Overwatch Two was released or, or announced rather. Um, and and you know somebody on Twitter. I think I saw it trending and I kind of surfed it on on Twitter and saw that somebody was like, yeah, two years ago Overwatch Two was announced. And I was really excited, but past that point, like I've kind of just checked out, like all the hypes died down. Like, what do I have to be excited about? It's been two years with very little communication. Um, not much else past that uh, being put on channels that I think the average player of the game may not even ever surf. It's it's not good. Um, I, I again, I I wasn't surprised. If anything, I was a little bit more disappointed that Diablo Four wasn't you know coming out this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. I you know it's 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 okay. to that point. We haven't heard anything about that game either. I I, I don't know yeah. why you would have any expectation that it would come out yeah. this year or even next year. Um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely not. Uh, there was no even hopes, have Diablo but... Immortal out yet. And that that game's been in development True, for like yeah. four years now. That's. And by the way, like to be fair, like that game is not a small undertaking. I, I I've had I have played Diablo Immortal, um, and That's it's like solid. the scope of the game is actually much bigger than you thought. You, if most people are just like, oh yeah, it's just mobile Diablo. It's actually mm. like a full MMO on mobile, pretty much. But you know, not here to talk too much about Diablo. The, the point of me bringing that up is that like even that game, which yeah. has been development for a, a, I would say a long time now, uh, if that hasn't been launched, I, there's no way Diablo Four is coming out. Like. Can you imagine if Diablo Immortal came out after Diablo 4? It just wouldn't, it, that can't yeah, be possible. Makes sense. Um, but no, no one's surprised that Overwatch, is, Overwatch 2 has been delayed again, I think. I think you know everyone was hopeful that it would come out next year. Everyone was, you know, after the initial reports of, yeah, you know, obviously we're going to be playing Overwatch League from April on Overwatch 2. And then, you know, the the rumor or at least the expectation would be that, okay, well, maybe Overwatch 2 would then release mid-year maybe third quarter next year kind of deal mm. um this basically just says it'll be next year instead and next year by the way could be anything it could be january it could be december right uh who who really knows and if it's december when i say next year i mean 2023 so next year right now is 2022 so the, the year after um if it was at the end of the year it it almost feel like another year on top of that right it almost yeah. feel even further along um so I guess, like, looking at this now, especially speaking to what Jessica was saying as well, in that if we when we play Overwatch 2 and it's Overwatch League playing on that game, it's not really Overwatch 2 yet, and which is, like, true and also false at the same time. It is it's true in the sense that, like, I think the real Overwatch 2 game is the sum of its parts of having all the features at the same time. When you get everything together, that's Overwatch 2. You get the PvP, PvE as well. I get all the changes, the new content, the new maps, the new game modes, the new heroes, blah, 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 the, the improved engine um, and whatever changes they want to make to the game. And that 
is all put together at the same time and that releases as one single product, you're like, okay, well, there's Overwatch 2. Now that feels like an actual Overwatch 2, an actual sequel to me, at least in my opinion. Mm. Um, playing something that's only half of that or less when it's just a PvP is... I can see where Yisk is coming from. It does feel like a bit of an Overwatch 1.5 in a way because it's you're moving towards an Overwatch 2, but it's so still close to Overwatch 1 in many respects that you haven't really moved on, but you've moved on significantly enough that there's going to be negative impact because mm-hmm. now you get into the space where what the hell do players do? Like, are they supposed to scrim, you know, play ranked on Overwatch 1 after scrims on Overwatch 2? Just stuff like that. It just gets really weird, especially if you're a tank player. Like, it's just... You can't even play. At least if you're a DPS and support, maybe you can play ranked on Overwatch yeah. 1 and it still kind of matters. If you're a tank, it's just like a totally different game. Mm. So... Yeah, that's that'd be kind of wild. I don't know. I how do we solve this it, now? Can we can we come up like with a solution that's the least offensive in terms of like making this work for for as many people as possible? Because I don't think there's a winning strategy here. I think we're no, out no, of the wins. There, the reason that does, there's no winning strategy is because different parties have different goals right now. Because yeah. you have a situation where the goal of Team Four and Blizzard is that. They want to take a bit more time to develop the game, which is fair enough. I think, like, I, I don't fault them for that because I look at that and say, yeah, it, it probably isn't ready. I mean, just look at yes. the grand finals footage and uh, the show matches they had there. Yeah. And apparently that build wasn't too far off from their internal build, which is crazy because there wasn't anywhere near enough content in that build, if that's yep. true. So that means they're really far behind. And, you, you know, when I was thinking about that to, in my in own head, I was like, dude, they're going to need a lot more time. I, I don't know if this is going to be ready in time because yeah. there's so much work for them to still do on the PvP side of things to get it all ready. Like, there's, there's a lot of reworks that we're missing. Like, they had so many reworks that were not in the game, not in that build. Um, so we don't even know how far ahead they are, really are of that build. It doesn't sound like it's too much further ahead. I guess the point is, is like, I think we all knew that the game had a real risk of coming out if it was going to be released next year around third quarter mm. there's a real risk that the game would have been released prematurely it would yeah. have been half baked and that would be a poor game that would, i don't think people would want to that that would be a game that if you're trying to reintroduce people back in the franchise yikes that that, that, that might not be the right game you know that that might turn people away instead so i i'm almost like okay with them delaying but there are some negative impacts to that as well this doesn't feel like a lot of wins yeah i mean at this point like the problem is there are very many hooks for Blizzard and, like, parties to please. Mm-hmm. You have the problem of, like, wanting to please the customer base of this game. is of course, the primary concern. But, like, Overwatch League interests are not trivial or rather unimportant to, this, to the success of this uh, They're not aligned. This company. And, mm-hmm. I mean... Like just looking at their stock prices, I think like the the uh, it's accurately reflecting just how bad of a position they are in. Like they're they're twenty five percent down over the next uh, six months, just from like the, yesterday because confidence mm-hmm. so low. Confidence now is lower than when the reporting around the sexual misconduct around Blizzard happened. Significantly mm-hmm. lower, right? This is this news is horrible for this company right now also looking like the so what what are the interests that blizzard has to care for 
right? They have to play, uh, produce a great game in order to get people to buy into that, whatever that monetization model might be down the line. They have to make good on contracts with Overwatch League teams, which, mm -hmm. again, like, I, I haven't seen those, but I assume had something in there about, like, novelty requirements or, like, Overwatch 2 maybe even precisely for the um, expansion fran franchises, not sure. So they got to satisfy, satisfy those needs. They got to satisfy the viewership in terms of, like, introducing novelty there. We've, we've just about squeezed everything, like, low effort in terms of uh, novelty out of this game with the most inane systems like hero pools in order to make this feel sort of fresh, right? Mm. We, we can only find so much novelty or, like, let, let's say, Zuma requirement novelty in balance mm. changes as is possible. Even the teams and how they have moved metas and how diverse they've played has not significantly increased viewership if you uh, were to subtract the, the success of the co-streams as well as the token drops, right? Mm. So in terms of that, we've, we've squeezed that fruit so hard. There's like, we're, we're touching fingers at this point, right? So we, we got to have novelty for, from this. Mm-hmm. But, like, that build, honestly, like, even putting energy into that is probably, like, delaying development as well, because someone has to take care of that build as well, probably has to um, balance for it, like, making those heroes work in... Once again, it's an ecosystem, right? Let's say we were not to get the six-plus new heroes in, in the mm -hmm. season pre-builds that we're going to play uh, Overwatch Season 5 on. Mm -hmm. That's... Then a completely different game than the devs are internally balancing for when Overwatch 2 eventually releases because every hero is only balanced against its environment and how their potential counters play into it, right? Like, mm. um, so you need completely different balance aspects in order to make this work, right? Mm. So, like, we, we need a, a new version of the game in order to keep this interest high. We right. apparently have not the ability to roll out a beta of, of that generally. I personally mm -hmm. think there's, like, there's only two salient moves here. The one salient move is to say, like, we, or, okay, this is the best move, I think. You put out this, uh, this build publicly for everyone available. Why not? They even, they're watching it anyway, right? Yeah. They're seeing the flaws that w this will happen. By the way, I, I can't see how there, there's going to be immense polish on, on the preseason builds. We're effectively yeah, like going to have a pretty beta version. That has, to be fair, that has been true to a decent degree always in, in Overwatch. Like I remember uh, observers in Season 1 saying, like, okay, some of the features are completely yeah. unusable or whatnot. Um, but like that will continue. So we, we already see the lack of polish. The problem is you're now introducing that to the wider customer base. Maybe that's undesirable for you. The thing is what, like, the, the mistake goes back to, like, not introducing these changes incrementally over the last couple of years and uh, mm. fixing those and having already the game state where this pre-built is supposed to be, right? Mm. I, I'll, I'll tell you, if only Overwatch players have access to this and it 
excludes even contenders players and excludes the wider public, nobody's going to give a flying fuck about this uh, league if they can't rep replicate what they see on the server. And the feeling of novelty this will produce will wane within the first month of this league going live. Nobody will give a hoot about a, an experience that they then cannot try to emulate for themselves. Yep. Again, we don't have wins. We just we don't are, have wins. We already tried that with only watch, I mean, and that was off of a product that was brand new. So that, here's the thing: that's gone. Now. Is the only other solutions, and by, by the way, for what it's worth, the other part of the earnings call uh, had specifically mentioned in a slide that they were going to be playing. They were they committed yep. to then playing Overwatch League next year on Overwatch Two. So it's, it's confirmed that that is what's yes. going to happen. But hypothetically, now we we can because you're asking the question like you know what would be effects. Hypothetically, mm. your solutions, your other potential solutions would be to play next year's Overwatch League season on Overwatch One again, or take a hiatus from next year, don't play Overwatch League at all, come back for the 2023 season on Overwatch Two when it's when that's supposedly meant to be released. Those are two of the other options. Obviously, again, we know that's not what's happening, but just right. kind of spitballing hypotheticals here, mm. um, because there's an inherent mismatch on expectations and uh, interest from the different parties and different parties are the fact that you know uh team ownership really wants to play a season next year yeah. and they really want to play that season on Overwatch watch too so that that is being satisfied by giving them the best next thing possible uh since Overwatch watch two can't come out they're going to get a, a build of some kind to play on okay cool but then you, you brought up the 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 fact that that causes so many other issues especially then the game being delayed the game isn't ready um, and there's a there's a, a conflict there in terms of you know even if you could give people a build you're saying mm. okay can we drop a build publicly um, or even as like a closed beta quote unquote where you can have to maybe a certain number of people can get on uh, on into it but outside the Overwatch League we're, we're talking about giving people outside the Overwatch League access to whatever that Overwatch League build is correct right. the only yep. issue of doing that well not the only issue but one big issue of doing that is you're right it's not going to be polished. Uh, and the problem is when the, if the public gets their hands on that and that ends up being their experience of Overwatch 2, in a way that will taint their experience of Overwatch 2 because it will be so unpolished and it will be so far away from the true Overwatch 2 experience, which is what I described earlier, you know, uh, the fact that you need everything together. You need the all the, you need the PvP, the PvE, and all the different features all married together in this one single product. That's Overwatch 2 and that's the actual experience. If you don't have that, then really it's not quite Overwatch 2 yet. It's it's still like Overwatch 1.5, as I described right. earlier. And that is going to taint people's mm -hmm. opinion of Overwatch 2 uh, more 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 so than just the hypothetical way it is now where people are like, oh, Overwatch 2, maybe they don't feel good about it. Now they've played it and they don't think it feels good yet because it probably doesn't because it's an early build. Yes. It's, it's, it's just not done. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, why, here, people, here's the play. You ready? You let Overwatch 2, uh, Overwatch 1 run. And independently of that, you launch Overwatch, whatever you, you don't call it Overwatch 2, probably you don't want the label <laughs> associated. Okay. You make that free to play because you're better fucking thinking about making PvP free to play anyway. Overwatch mm -hmm. Immortal. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway. And you have that client for people to interact with that. You have a polished experience with Overwatch 1. Everyone understands that this other client is not necessarily affiliated, 
with mm. Overwatch 2. You like you opt in, call it early, like Overwatch 2 early access or some shit. Like maybe rename it completely. Make it so the frame uh, for people. That what what that's tough. There's still a problem with that is people don't understand what early access means. I've explained. I've ranted about this before. Right. I'll do a miniature version of it because we're not we're not going to go into de detail about this again. But essentially, the general public cannot acknowledge and discern the difference between a full release game and an early access game or a beta or an alpha or whatever. Whatever they get their hands on, no matter what you call it, no matter how hard you say, hey, does not represent the final product, they think it's the damn final product. They get their hands on it. It could be the earliest build ever, and they'll be like, oh, this is Overwatch 2. This is all of Overwatch 2, and this is this is all Overwatch 2 can ever be. And they're, and they're fucked up minds is what they're thinking. Subconsciously, they're probably not doing it on purpose, but like, yeah. mm -hmm. they can't remove themselves from just believing that they are touching the final product. So... And 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 the, I'm not being extreme about it because this I've seen this over the entire course of gaming history at all times. People will always like look at they'll go back and they'll find your video footage that you released three years ago before the launch of the game, some like trailer footage or some like you know teaser footage. You'll be like, oh well, look at this. Like you promised these things. Like motherfucker, that was not promised. It does not represent final product. What, what do you not get about that? But people don't understand. They don't get that. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's another way to frame this. I don't know how, what you do, but, like, not giving access to everyone would be an absolute disaster. Especially if you're not but even giving, giving access, access would to... be an absolute disaster. It, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. Lose. You, you can't win here. The management, I think, is where I point a lot of the fingers. The management of the game in, in general. Um, I, I understand that certain things happen to delay um, or, or force delays. That's understandable, but um announcing this two years ago with no meaningful updates having a another core fundamental change kind of speculatively coming late in terms of development with 5v5 um yeah it's a lose-lose you don't get to have your cake and eat it too um i tend to side with giving at least some people access which has me kind of at least relatively excited for maybe a big marketing push with a lot of these location rumors that keep kind of orbiting the overwatch 2 discourse or the overwatch league you don't want to promote next this season though right i think they kind of what are you to. promoting what are you promoting i think they what are you promoting my my mind kind of can't get off the idea of using a lot of these like rumored homestands going into next season as like big marketing pushes whether it's releasing new heroes whether it's adding a, some sort of animated short or allowing the people that attend these events to play some sort of like early access build um that's the only oh. kind of positive silver lining i can see from this is that the like the oh. development team itself is trying to push this in terms of like oh. a marketing tool i don't know I see where you're going with that, but I think people are like done. Oh yeah, of course, and done with all the like announcements of announcements. That's why you kind of have to give them something. All the, all the kind of all that kind of stuff, like people, like I don't know, like, the general the general feeling. If you even just look at the the comments and not just on the YouTube uh, videos of the of the Overwatch Two gameplay, but even even you go elsewhere, like. I hate to say this, but you go to Facebook, which is, you know, and I, you can't take Facebook seriously at all with people that sure. use Facebook seriously. But like, I mean, even going there, I'm, I'm pretty sure all the people that use Facebook are actually just AI, um, <laughs> programmed poorly, obviously. Um, but you, you go anywhere, you look at discourse, 
And people mm -hmm. just, they're not even interested. They don't even want to see it because all they're getting is just more nothing. Yeah. They just skill. People just want the game now. The only real win here, which is completely impossible now, um, is that they would have to, they, the game is way further ahead mm -hmm. and it's actually quite close to release. It's quite well polished. Um, a closed beta starts next month, December now of, of this year mm -hmm. and goes up until. I don't know, however long it needs to be, up until release even. And release could be May or June next year. And the Overwatch League starts in April, and the entire April through to June period of time is like a huge marketing push sure. supported by the Overwatch League. And then the game comes out, and it's great, and it's polished, and it's written, and it's finished. Yep. That, would be the, that would be the Omega win. That would be, be as, as hard of a win as you could possibly get. You'd have this like brilliant marketing push. It, the timing would all be perfect. It would be fantastic. That would be a major win. But I'm talk. I, I sound like I'm speaking fantasy terms. I'm. I, I sound like I'm, you know, telling a myth right now. Um. Mm. But when you look at how other games handle their their release marketing and all that kind of stuff, it's like really shouldn't be that hard. Hypothetically speaking, it shouldn't be that hard. But now you've got just two things that are just completely going down separate paths. Overwatch League want to play Overwatch Two straight away. But Team Four are not ready to release the game, so you know we're diverging. We're diverging really hard. Yep, and that's where I again I think you have to give the public something or a portion of the public something. Um, I think the draw of lands might be enough to help sell people on that. I don't know. It's there, like you said, there is no win. There's there's, there's no like Omega win here to 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 please everybody. Um, I'd love to see like a little booth from Activision Blizzard at maybe some of these rumored events. I have one thing left. And yeah. I have one possible win left. Okay. It's a very sure. minor win. This is what we call small victories. And the only small victory I have left is Overwatch 2. Overwatch League starts Overwatch 2 April, blah, blah, blah. Same as usual. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, it's it's a combined marketing campaign with the, with the beta access into Overwatch 2. Maybe it's the same build that the Overwatch League players are on. Except this build is actually good. This build is actually amazing. <laughs> right? It would have, that's it. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. My small victory is you'd have to have an actual amazing build so that if people play it, they can actually be like, all right, this is actually kind of good. Because if it's not that, then it's what I said earlier, which is like, oh, Overwatch 2 is going to be garbage. Whatever I'm playing right now, even though it's early access, uh, I, I think it's the final product because I'm dumb and you know, it's it's garbage, so this is what Overwatch 2 is. Um, and that's just how people are going to operate, so that's why it's dangerous to give somebody access to something that's just not ready. So, to it get can... a win, you got to give somebody, you got to pe give people access to a beta that right. is quote-unquote ready, but that's asking a lot of Team 4 to have that ready Th by next year. That's that's also, like, the play that you do if you actually have a client that, uh, let's say like just like the five v five portion and just PvP, just that portion that uh, the Overwatch League will be playing on this pre-patch. Mm. Make that version, the access to that version, a drop from the streams. Mm -hmm. Instant yeah. win. Instant well, win. it's still I gonna be it's... good. I, I don't want to. I don't want to wait for a drop that's gonna be just like a, a crap thing to play. Yeah, just a bunch of rubbish. Like you know. I think you underestimate Hunter and Gatherers. <laughs> yes, agreed. Like people will want to chase after it. It's going to be a chase, you know, object. But once you yeah, get sure. it, it then, still has then to have some content. Bad, people yeah. will get it and realize it's, it's a bunch of shit, and then and then 
it just it, it, you end up with pie on your face then like agreed but just, you, we can't just, we can't like, just shoot everyone. every idea though. down because it's not a win not, right like not for you long. have to do something yeah you know like doing nothing is also a loss this was would instantly like boost viewership which is one of the mm -hmm. metrics that you're looking to improve on sure That's it's not like a clean way to do so sure like your marketing department might not love you for that but um yeah, I think that's still a possible... Like, it would have been better if the Overwatch League was airing during a time when an actual Overwatch 2 beta key would have made sense. Let's say, like, April season start, we're playing through September, the entire time you can, like, gain uh, beta key access, and it actually is fairly rare, so people would have to keep watching throughout it, and then in October, uh, Overwatch 2 beta releases everyone like who wanted to has access by watching the overwatch league and then like that's i mean that's shameless farming but it would have worked and it's not necessarily much more shameless than what uh riot did with Val valorant yeah, right I, so i expect them to, i expect that that should happen that's exactly what you should be doing you should be basically copying exactly you know where riot have been with all that kind of stuff um 100 percent but I just, you know, just whatever ends up going to the hands of the public just needs to be a good product. Um, which, or, as I said, is probably asking for too much because if they were, if Team 4 were far along enough to offer that good enough product, then they probably wouldn't have to delay Overwatch 2 at all. Uh, the thing is, so, what does that mean for the broadcast if it's not a good product? Okay, so let me define good product here because there's different, depending on what angle you look at it, it's, it's not quite the same. When I say good product, I mean good for the public, which mm. is different from good for, the, for like a professional league, right? Because right? if you're talking about professional league, uh, as long as the game plays fine and you know, people can do the Overwatch things in game and it's competitive um, and people can scrim and compete and, and all that kind of stuff, as long, as long as it's not broken and unbalanced, like to hell, whatever, it work, it'll work. When I say good for the public, it needs to be good in the sense that, like, I can play this, and I can want to play this, and I can choose to play this and be incentivized to play this game over other games that exist on the market, which right. include, you know, other FPS games like Valorant, or, and here's the big one, the big one that you need to be able to incentivize people to, to change over from is Overwatch 1. Playing this new Overwatch yeah. 2, because here's the problem, is no matter, even if you, even if you, you think it's reasonable that people shouldn't compare, they fucking will. What they're going to do is they'll get their hands on this Overwatch 2 clone beta that'll drop via the whatever drop system during the Overwatch League season. They'll play this thing, and if it isn't good enough to take them away from Overwatch 1, the question that has to come to mind is why do I play this beta over, instead of Overwatch 1? Why? I'll just go back to Overwatch 1 straight away. Yeah. Right? So when I say good for the public, I'm, I'm talking about a different thing here. It's a different metric. Right. So, okay, we talked about like the biggest wins and whatever. What do you think will happen? How will this actually, like, what, what is your most likely scenario how this all will work with, like, who gets to play this game? Um, like, is the, is the players, like, super, for instance, talking about, like, being in this, in this bad position where you have to stream Overwatch 1 because you want to be in content creator, but have to scream on Overwatch 2? Like, how, how is this going to work out? Like, what, what do you guys think is reasonable to expect how all of this is going to go. Yeah, I think Super... I'm not too far off from what it sounds like Super saying, where there's probably going to have to be uh, a mix of both 
for content creators um, and probably pro players as well um, for the longest time. And I think that a, a client for the Overwatch League is probably on its way soon. Obviously, with the rumored start of spring to April in that area, I think it's safe to assume by the end of the year they should have uh, the ability to play on it. What, whether that means, um, you know, accounts that they can share among people or just for their team, it's difficult to say. Um, I think the home stands that are rumored uh will probably tie in with some kind of like drip feed with hero announcements if i had to guess whether that means like reworks or just new heroes being added to the game um i i see them using the stage that they've built to try to market the hell out of this game i think that's the most likely if they don't have the reworks done by the time we start playing it's i'm fucking i think i think it's it's gonna be a drip feed if i'm gonna be honest i think it's gonna be like a constant patching like a hero that means that means one or two things here joe that means either you're going to be playing an overwatch 2 client and build Mm -hmm. where certain heroes like sigma still have not been reworking just playing overwatch one sigma or pretty much if sigma i'm just using sigma as an example here if sigma isn't uh reworked yet he's just removed from the roster entirely and you can't even play him it's possible uh, again what's most likely I think that's uh, that's possible. That, well, here's a problem. There's now now I got a problem with that because now that is no longer in my ter- in my eyes good or playable at a competitive level. I just I just try to make a distinction between what is good at what is good quote unquote for for a professional mm-hmm. level. What is good for public? Uh, if that's the case, this is not even forget about the public. This is not even good for a professional level anymore. Yeah, like we're not even the hero entirely. I think is a little much, uh, but I don't know that every rework will be in. I don't know that every hero will be in by April. It has to be. I'm saying it has Uh, to be. I don't know. I'm saying it's it's got to be. If it's not, there's problems because now you have less content than Overwatch One. Now you've got less fucking content because if you're disabling heroes because their reworks aren't done, yeah, or you're just playing Overwatch One heroes with no reworks on that are not balanced. And I'm targeting tanks here. If I'm not, let's forget sure. about some of the DPSs and sports for now. Yeah, I'm yeah. targeting tanks now. Right? If a Sigma type hero, if a ball of another tank hero is simply not available or it's not been reworked, so it's still in its Overwatch 1 version, which is not suitable for a solo tanking environment, yeah. you are literally playing with less content than Overwatch 1. Yeah. I mean, that you're to preaching me to the choir. The question was, what's the most likely circumstance? The fact that That's, this game has been delayed again. The most likely. I can't. I can't. And what is the most likely, likely in your eyes? Um, fuck me if that if that's gonna happen. I just play. Over, I'd rather just play Overwatch One next year. Have the sure? Overwatch League be back on Overwatch One next year. Yeah. If that's, if that's I what don't. I don't hate that either. Um, so, most likely scenario for me is that mm-hmm. the build is good to go. They have a good. They have a build that meets a minimum requirement. Uh, at least in my eyes, maybe my standard is different for competitive play. Mm. And beyond that, probably the public won't get to touch that build for. Okay. Most of the season, maybe halfway through the season, maybe towards the end of the season, yeah. could, could be a drip feed towards the public slowly, maybe towards even tier two contenders. Um, but I, I think it'll be pretty tight to start with, very tight to start with. I also expect, by the way, because you guys brought up the whole streaming thing, mm-hmm. uh, I would really like it if the pros were allowed to stream Overwatch two, uh, and that would pretty extend cool. to yeah. other people that have access as well. Like maybe you know, I imagine the casters would have access and they could stream it as well. Uh, and nice. selfishly, I would want to do that, but um, and and obviously get rolled by the pro players as as they're the only ones I can play against. But they need to be able to play against other people. And I can imagine that if you're an Overwatch Two pro, 
mm. you don't really want to go back to Overwatch 1 and practice. You would rather play in-house lobbies. Of course. So yeah. what you could actually stream is after your scrims, you can have some pugs going. I, I, I know this sounds really silly in a way. We're like, oh, yeah, like pugs, that sounds great. But like, what, what else is there? Like, you want to keep practicing Overwatch 2? You want to keep practicing after scrims? You want to keep playing the game? There's not enough people to get queues going. Maybe there would be, but the, you know, you'd have to, all the pros would have to kind of agree, like, yeah, for two hours after the last scrim block, we're going to all queue mm. some Overwatch 2 together. It's not even ranked. Yeah. It'd just be quick play, I guess. Yep. And then you'd all just play some in-houses with other Overwatch 2 pros. And to, to be yep. fair, on some level, that doesn't sound too bad. Like, mm. you, you're playing against, like, very good other players. Uh, you're, you're in very high-quality games, and you are getting to actually practice Overwatch 2 outside of scrims, which is important. So I can see that being a thing, and I would hope that that is a thing, um, so that there is some sort of population, and you need to be able to start to grow that population. Maybe eventually you can grow that sort of... I don't want to use the word quick play, but just like... it is Because it's not, it's not going to be ranked. You can grow that, that queuing population into like more tier 2 pros and stuff like that yeah, as well yeah. to increase the population, because you need to increase the population of who you can queue into at least a little bit. These need to be highly... like frequented these pugs because like if you're ever in a position where you're sitting there for the entire duration of a and you're queuing yes and you're queuing like let's say there's like i don't know that's why i'm saying like you're an, scheduling them all the pros agree that two hours for two hours after scrims they're all queuing they've scheduled this yeah ahead of time Ideally. but even then like the amount of players per role is not symmetric so some dudes will sit outside of these lobbies at times, right? Well, it depends on how many people queuing. There'll be, there'll be dudes who just like, you know what, I'll take the day off. I'm not going to queue today. There'll be some of those yeah. dudes, and then there'll be a bunch of players on the bench who just want to queue. They just Because they're not getting any game time. They, they want to queue. So I don't know. Like, How many players total? Let's just use NA. 12 teams NA. Let's just pretend there's 12 teams in NA. It could be 13. could be 11. Let's pretend there's 12 teams in NA. Uh, let's just say... Six players, so what? Seventy-two players per over uh, total. Six players per team. Twelve teams. Do I do my maths correctly? Seventy-two players. If mm -hmm. seventy-two players queued, you can get some like lobbies going. You know, you can get like a few lobbies going. You know, with subs included, that seventy-two can maybe be up to eighty, like Eric saying. But um, you know, then maybe some people don't feel like queuing, so maybe it's back down to seventy. Let's say the population is somewhere between sixty and eighty. You can get like 10, 11, 12 lobbies gone. But, you know, something like that. Yeah, but if you're a tank, you're now on your ass. Only How many one. Tanks are there? I mean, on, like two. every team is doubling up on tanks. You only need one per lobby. If there's okay. just like a little, a couple of supports not playing that day, suddenly you, you need to, you're playing like every third game or something like this. So tanks are probably going to have longer queues. Is, is yeah. probably what it ends up being, sadly. It's going to be like, such a to, miserable experience, that. dude. And I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. They got to play support that's, then. That's, Have fun. That's 5v... Wow. That, that's 5v5. And um, and also, there's not enough extra DPS and support players. To be fair with you, when you look at some of the rosters, and you know, we, we're slowly going to start migrating to roster talk for people that are, that are still eagerly awaiting that, right. um, that haven't clicked the timestamp yet. So good on you, but um, because this this conversation is pretty good actually. But um, you know, there are like a decent amount of DPS and support subs as well. Like you got teams that like got mm -hmm. one sub per role. So I th maybe there's enough subs to cover more lobbies. Possible, certainly possible. 
Yeah, I think there are more. We're in a position that isn't enviable, but there are some things that can happen if we're lucky that could benefit us in the long run. Um, whether or not that does happen uh, is is weighted against a lot of uh, unknowns. Um, past that point, it's tough to say. Really, um, confidence is. Uh, is is at an all time uh, wane waning point. Yeah, we're on we're on a, a lot of, a lot of shit weighs on this next season. So we and, will see. And you're not even a tier two player. Imagine that. Imagine <gasps> being in that position. Should we talk about that? Is that what we're getting to know? I guess we can. Yeah, could try. Yeah, it's lead us in. Good. Who wants to start on the hypotheticals of where the rest of the ecosystem would be outside the Overwatch League? Oh, uh, in Valorant, pretty much. We'll play, you know, Age of Empires is looking for maybe some players, you know. Yeah. Expensive I, game, by the way. I sorry, off topic, apparently. but like, yeah, why is Age of Empires 4 is like they're like charging a lot of money for that game. Um yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I'm skimp or anything, skimp or anything, but it's like, I don't know, it's just I'll I'll wait. Um Yeah, I don't see I hey, I'm happy to be wrong here. I would love to be wrong here because I would love to see some way to get tier two players involved, especially with mm. in my hypothetical scenario where we're doing a lot of you know pro lobbies here uh, for watch two the build to increase the the to decrease the queue times and increase the variety of players you get matched up against. You need to start introducing tier two players into that queue pool, into that uh, yeah. into that pool of possible players you could queue into. So I would love to have somehow have tier two get involved, but I don't know a good way to do that. Because now you're trusting people outside of the Overwatch League ecosystem yeah. with something that is pretty much in lock and key. And if you're willing to give it to them, you're very close to be, being willing to give it to the general public. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. even the tier two players, they're not that far removed from literally just being the general public at that stage. Yeah. Yep. If you're a Contenders fan, you probably want to be in or voting for Camp Yiska and his... You know, sugar plum. You pipe probably drink. just want to be. You probably just want to be an Overwatch League fan or Valorant fan at this stage. Sure. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, you you want to be voting for for Yiska's plan of action moving forward, migrating the base game into Overwatch One over a course of X amount of months and or years, um, so that everybody has access to this build as soon as possible, regardless of how polished it is or is not, um, so that contenders can exist. <sighs> If you if if you are in contenders camp, that's the best case forward, because if that isn't what's happening, then I don't know that contenders oh, I disagree. Uh, exists. I think if you're in the contenders camp, the best case going forward is that contenders continues on Overwatch 1. Yes, I know. I've just committed the sin. I've just committed, you know, the, the greatest sin that there could be, which is your game and your esport now is being is basically being divided between two different titles. Mm -hmm. Which one and Overwatch 2 esports coexisting at the exact same time sounds fucking stupid it sounds potentially really bad but that's the easiest way i can see tier two continuing yeah I, that's the only other it way that doesn't it can require exist. any extra work doesn't require yeah. any extra oversight any extra overheads you're just mm -hmm. doing the same contenders again that you've always done and yep. honestly right now there's nothing wrong with that obviously the, the quote-unquote wrong thing about that is well, wow, tier two teams can't scrim against tier one teams, and that was a a, a big source of scrimming and practice. Mm -hmm. But 
I just don't see a world where the tier two players get access to this early build of Overwatch two no, of anywhere not. near the same time as the Overwatch one Overwatch League players do. Yeah, if uh, we're playing in the logic of it being closed off, then yeah, contenders players aren't going to have it. There's no shot. Which by it the has way has to be. Which by the way means it's going to be also really frustrating for the Overwatch League teams who now have to only scrim other Overwatch League teams because and this might this might blow some people's minds because like I, I know some people get like fooled into this lie and this narrative this false narrative that like Overwatch League is so far ahead of contenders that they only play each other contenders is just like ah oh, who cares tier two Omega lol no mm. there's contenders there's easily contenders teams that are like above the bottom yeah, half of, of Overwatch League no no question about it and there's yeah. a lot of them too so my mm. point being that why I'm bringing that up is good tier two teams was a high resource was a high uh, you know a scrim value for for mm -hmm. Overwatch League teams they scrim those teams a lot in tier two and if you lose your tier two scrim access and you can only scrim Overwatch one Overwatch League teams that restricts who you can play against that restricts your ability to scrim yep agreed I, I can only say like and this I'm not <laughs> this is not financial advice but um, if you're in a position in in over generally especially as a two, tier two person mm -hmm. i don't see or know of any knowledge that would make me bullish on this scenario where if i'm sitting outside of overwatch league right now and grinding towards tier two i don't have an argument for you why you should keep around uh was tier one you mean yes towards tier one like if you didn't make it yeah. this year even if you're like underage like you're probably very talented you probably should look in other esports if there's a possibility for you to apply yourself to. Of course, like mm. keep. I mean, maybe await the news of whatever. Maybe there is a good solution that we can't think of, and then this is terrible advice. But I mean, at this point, like it was already a, pr a pretty questionable uh, position to be in. Now it's just like all signs are just like against you. And. More power to you mm -hmm. if you still have the grind, the grind in you, and the willingness to compete in this. And it's this is still your dream to playing Overwatch League. But it, at some point, dude, like I don't know, like, well, then you can make the argument that it's like, well, if you leave now, the next guy below you replaces you, yeah, mm -hmm. and then the next Overwatch League season when it is probably Overwatch Two and everyone has it, well, they're ahead of you now. Then they get into Overwatch League and you don't. That's the fair, right? There's, there's some real FOMO there. Thing like is, if like, you're ahead right now, you want to keep your lead. If if what you're saying is true and they're playing on Overwatch One, you're not missing anything, right? Like, I'm not saying anything. I'm saying is true. I'm just saying that would be a yeah. good idea. No, no, like I think that would this, be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. If if that was to be the case, and you have an entire year playing on a different game that not doesn't necessarily trans. Like, imagine we find out Overwatch One players don't translate well into Overwatch Two. Like, what if, like, people like Prophet just drop off a cliff? Or, mm. you know, like, all the gods currently sure, in the game. Sure. What if that happens, right? Then mm -hmm. the League is, like, in the, in the position where they both need new talent and there's no new talent because uh, there's no p talent pipeline. Which, by the way, is, is like a very, in, in a sort of slight deviation of this topic, is a very big conversation overall for the esports ecosystem of overwatch of any game but specifically of overwatch right here where is like and this is why tier two actually does matter because i think a lot of people have this thought in their brains like well why does it matter it's tier two you know it's like lower tier it's not overwatch league like who cares who cares about tier two is like the reason you should care is because 
that's the ecosystem that's mm -hmm. the pipeline that's yeah. what gets people interested that's what sells the dream that you can go through this and get into the overwatch league and and whatever other esports title would be playing through the academy or playing through european masters and lec whatever like that you sure. yeah, there has to be some sort of pipeline to gain interest otherwise you're a player like patapan that says there is zero position and possibility of even attempting to play professional overwatch in my region in southeast asia in thailand in any of those countries you're in taiwan japan right now you literally do not even have a contenders region anymore we had a japanese team play in contenders australia because that was the next best thing they could do right like they, they don't even have a region anymore. if you are a player from there if you're a player from thailand you literally cannot play professional overwatch you can't even begin um, and so your region at that stage is literally dead. That's classified as dead. And there mm -hmm. means there's no more pipeline. There's nothing else coming in through and all interest for that eSport, that game in that region is gone, right? That's why tier two matters because that ecosystem matters. Yeah. That cycle of players coming in and out of the interest matters. So talking about tier two and the implications on tier two for Overwatch 2 uh, and next year's Overwatch League and all that kind of stuff, like you... If you don't have a tier two next year, then yeah, I mean, 2023 is going to look pretty fucked as well uh, in some ways. I'm yeah. sure everyone will come back in 2023, but you'd have a whole year missing in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's, I, it's Even if you never watched a single Contenders game in your life, the idea that you somehow still don't want this to prosper is unreasonable to me. Like, do you fuckers still want to watch fucking Boink play in your backline? Is that what you want? Basically, everyone that has been around since like pre-Overwatch League, uh, League times has been replaced by this point. Just yeah. imagine like the level of talent and level of play that we would see if we hadn't hadn't had uh, the the contenders system feeding like these unreal superstars to us. Like, you wouldn't have Violet, bro. Yeah, rookies look better and better. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we have probably for all of its woes. Uh, probably one of the more healthy tier two scenes in esports in general, with how oh, frequent slow down the older pros. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the older pros. No, 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 not wealthy, healthy, healthy. Even sorry, yeah, yeah, I meant exactly. Healthy. Again, it's 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 a shambling corpse of a former, you know, whatever shell. But you can't really ignore what you kind of just talked about, where a lot of the old pros are rotating out. Every year, new rookies are coming in that look better than last year, right? There's a reason for that. I think we do give them a stage. We do shine a spotlight. People are interested in moving these players up. When you look at other esports, that's not necessarily the case, and it's not happening as frequently as it is here. Yes, there are problems. I'm not trying to say that there aren't issues in Tier 2. Of course there is. Um, but for, for like with the topic of we should care about this, yes, we should care because of how successful it has been. You want to do, if you want to do an episode on tier two, I've got the entire thing. I, I have in my mind, because uh, obviously I never write these things down. I, I, I only ever do these in shower thoughts or just for me, just thoughts, I guess. Um, where like I have in my mind, like my perfect vision of what tier two can and should be. As someone that's been a part of tier two literally the entire time, I've been there since contender season one. No, I don't count contender season zero because that was, that was literally just Overwatch League. Before yeah. Overwatch League, I'm only mm. talking contender season one. From this season onwards, I've been there every season. I've done the big events. I've been to the showdowns. I've done the gauntlet twice. You know, I've done that shit. I I know tier two better than most. 
Uh, and in my mind, that's why when I when I'm critical of it, I'm like I'm coming from a place where I really understand it well, um, with good intentions as well. Like I, I if you I could go on about like what I think tier two should be and how it should operate in order for, for it to be actually successful. But a lot of it also you have to look at Overwatch League as well, the connection there. So there's there's a lot that goes on. Mm. Yeah. Agree. <sighs> it's like a I, weird spot. I wish there's like there's some clever way to all finagle this. But again, like we, we probably don't even know about half of these uh, parties that need to be or these param parameters that need to be satisfied uh, that Blizzard would have to consider so mm -hmm. all of this is so you want to you wanna go for another half hour on this topic I will give you my perfect solution I say perfect it's perfect in my in my brain where everything is like sunshine and rainbows apparently um, no, my brain is quite quite depressing. Actually, I'm really jaded. Um, but I can I can I can t I can give you the spiel. Like here's my. It won't be an elevator pitch unless we're going from the bottom of the of a skyscraper to the very top. Uh, that can be an elevator pitch. I do. But it, you know, there there I I have a vision in my mind of like what how everything could work out and how everything could be really good. Um, but you need you need a lot of people, a lot of different parties to play ball, and that's. Yeah. The part where probably it will break down because a lot of people have their own interests and teams and ownerships and different team four. We're talking about you know the the developers as well. We're talking about um, John Spector and the people in charge of the Overwatch League. If they you'd have to have a lot of alignment. There would be mm. a, you would need a shitload of alignment to to make something like really really good work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I guess like this is definitely like the. Um, the stage of like just like <laughs> complete frustration with the situation. Um, it's also it always gets worse before it gets a better type of, of course mood at the moment. So let's see what whatever the suggestion is. But once again, like I, I don't think there will be a satisfying position. Um, that will even like hit the meet um needs of like fifty percent of whoever is participating in the esports crowd. The the better you're talking about, you know, it's worse before it's better, the better you're talking about is when Overwatch 2 finally releases. Problem is, it it's always so far away that it feels like it's never happening. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's at this stage, it's been in development, it's been delayed for so damn long. Whenever you get slightly closer, it actually feels like Blizzard are shifting the goalposts every single year of, of Overwatch 2 and its release. So... It's, the better you're talking about is somewhere in the horizon, but the horizon keeps on moving and you can't catch up to it. Is, isn't it like, didn't we get the first footage of uh, in the playable version of Overwatch 2 uh, in 2019? BlizzCon 2019. Two years ago, yes. And yeah, then, two years ago, yesterday. Right. And then 2020 BlizzCon was delayed. Then we had the, um, the BlizzCon line in 2021, right? Is that how it went? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this February. And now yeah. we're getting the game in 2023? After it had already been in development, probably starting 2017? Correct. They have said publicly that portion of the team began migrating after the release of Overwatch 1. So, in development, technically. Yeah, that, that could have been pre-production. Like, you know, you don't want to say, like, oh, people got to work straight away. Like, sure. Like, in 2017, 2018, that could have just been, like, a gr small group of guys theory crafting in pre-production the game, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, 
smaller deal, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to try and speculate too hard. For sure. Point is, you're right. It's been in development for a fucking long time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Oh well. Oh well. So, and by the time it comes on 2023, it'll be what four years since the announcement. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I have to wait and see. I think the best thing that they could do immediately is start communicating. Um, I think the reason why things are as doom and gloom as it seems is because we just don't have any information to work with. Not that they have inf- any information to give us. I don't think there is but... anything to communicate. What is there to communicate? Hey, sorry, it's... we don't have enough done. We're really far behind. Whoopsies. I think that would probably go a long way, to I mean... be honest with you. That doesn't ha- that's not happening, but... I think that would go a long way. Also, just a date for the teams to start, like, know when sure. when they should have their people in the cr- country to start scrimming, right? That sure. would be... Because, like, once again, the public knows as much as those teams, at least, like, well, at the GM level and below. Well, you to get that, Jeska, you need probably Team 4, the Overwatch, Overwatch, the Overwatch development team, to commit to what that build is, there's a build that teams are going to scrim on. That build is probably going to get updated over the course mm-hmm. of time. So the initial build that will first get into the hands of players has to be defined. What is this build? How developed like is this build? What's going to be inside of it? No. What's going to be inside of it? And once they've committed to that and said this is what it's going to be, then they can actually set a, a deadline and timeline for it. And the deadline could be, we can get this build done by X date mm-hmm. and that's when you will have it. Like, that's, that's what it's going to have to be. Yep. That um, sounds like great things that the both the teams should probably know before the public. But, you know, those are the, those are all things that need to come out that need to be talked about that. You know, I don't I care if it's Aaron Keller. No, of course not, because teams if they know, did, hopefully we know. know yet. But again, what I'm saying is that needs to be decided and voiced to the, the right parties. Right. Yeah. Like these things have to start moving to get us out of you know, glimpsing the void, right? Like to have the call of, of swerving the car into the, into the side of the wall, right? Like it has to be something soon. We can't be left in the dark again. I don't like, we, we've had enough of that it, it, because it will just continue being this. Oh my God, what can it be? It's, it's doomer speculation. Um, and to get ahead of it, you have to start communicating and it has to start somewhere. And I think you're right in saying it has to be with the build. So the, Final thing I'll say on this is because we got to move on uh, soon. And I think we're starting to reach the conclusion of this topic as well. Yep. Is that the reason why this feels so bad? Because you know, let me let me talk about Diablo for a second as well, because that was also announced to be mm. behind schedule and delayed, and uh, likely coming out twenty twenty three or later. And you know, while people be like, "Oh, that's a bit sad," I don't think there's as much, or there's not even nearly as much, like upsetness that's not a word, real word but there's not enough like you know there's people people are not nearly as upset about it but that's the reason is i think for the most part when you look at blizzard history and their release cycles how long was the gap between starcraft starcraft 2 fucking long Fuge, diablo 2 yeah. diablo 3 really fucking long right mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for blizzard to take a long ass time to make a game and finally release it so while I while I'm not saying like, you know, that's that's necessarily the right thing to do or like that's the right way to go. I'm not gonna try and pretend I'm a, a developer and know what all those things are. But what I will say is that like you never you've never really had this kind of thing. I think most people playing StarCraft were like, we would like StarCraft 2, but we're not upset with this game. And StarCraft 1 didn't have any updates. Zero, I'm literally two. At one point, 
this is a true story. StarCraft Brood War, which is StarCraft 1, it mm-hmm. reached a point where the game was so balanced that they literally stopped releasing balance updates. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's no updates in here. There's no balance updates, no updates, just nothing, zero, done. Um, and people happily just play that forever. But that was decades ago. We're in a sort yeah, of space now. Time. We're in 2021 where the free-to-play market is the way it is. And yeah. not even just the free-to-play market, but the games as a service market has evolved to become a completely different beast that you can't simply have a game and then you stop development on it and then the next game comes out five years into the future and people are just like, wow, there it is, finally, boom, we're just happy it's here now. Well, people just go away from your game, they just play the other games and service games and you just lose your entire play base instead. Um, because game once you've got a games as a service, if that engine ever slows down, people get off the ship. They're off the train. And that's just how games are servicing how games are in 2021, which is why it feels so fucking bad that Overwatch 2 is so delayed when, in the greater context of things, the amount of time that Team 4 are taking to make Overwatch 2 for a sequel, I mean, a lot of developments, a lot of studios, a lot of games take that long. Like, shit, I, would, I can't wait to play um, the second Horizon Dawn game. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a bit of a gap between the first and second one. And no one's like, no one's up in arms like, oh it's not coming out soon enough. They're just happy to wait, but, but it's a totally different game. It's not a games of yeah. service, totally different expectations. Yeah. It's also not like, how many, uh, how many professionals probably work in the Overwatch League? Probably like between 1,000, like oh. on Overwatch. I'll say hundreds. Yeah, like with, with third party stuff and everything, I think we're, we're close to 1,000. Like those people's lives is put on hold, right? Like it's a different situation like nobody's sitting there going like uh, well maybe maybe like two dozens of people are just sitting there going like ah i have this youtube channel about red dead redemption one it's sort of getting old i hope red dead redemption 2 comes out right like mm-hmm. it's not a thousand people that are all pissed off have endemic knowledge about your th- thing and are constantly being strung uh with expectations for the next thing and structure their life around that right so it's a completely different uh scenario i guess for for those types of scenarios or call me settings. call me the the huffer of the hopium you know strap mm. me in but i i hope that Become that's the, the i i hope that that's like the fire under the belly for you know this team to start to release a lot of this information um and maybe even a build i don't know um i i agree with what Avril said to kind of circle back like not, nothing about this is going to be good, but I think something is better than nothing in the eyes of the public. Um, and yeah, that would be my hope is that they they understand yep. that there are so many people to uh, put on the line and they have to do something. And I and you know also as well, I, I don't fault the devs, I don't blame the devs, oh, and I don't think course. anyone should go and blame the devs because I'm sure they would love to release the game as soon as they can. I'm sure they're working mm-hmm. as hard as they. I'm sure they're they're probably they're probably crunching if anything because yep. they're under pressure yeah. to get a game out. So I, I I feel bad for them, and if anything, I I'm I feel sorry for them. I wish I you know I wish it could be different. Uh, I wish mm. I could I wish they could have a development cycle that's not as stressful because I'm sure they 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 know it better than anyone. You know the people don't need to preach the choir here. So um, I certainly don't fault them because it's just a rough situation for literally everyone. Yeah. And you know if only if only things could have gone smoother. Um, but that is going to be enough talk on this topic because man I, I this has probably been our biggest topic ever as like a single topic i don't think we've ever had a topic go this long 
it's like an hour and 10 minutes like it's over an hour on just one topic but it's a big enough topic that we simply couldn't ignore it and literally dropped on our table on on our, on our plate today um that had to be addressed it was just too big talking about more roster movements and back to normal off-season kind of content now mm. um the first one i want to get into is not a specific team just yet I still, before I even get there, you know, I, I just heard the collective groan of the people that actually wanted to hear the team content, but you'll, you'll enjoy this as well, is I want to talk about the, the coaching situation because there's been a bunch of new coaches either announced or rumored mm. uh, since our last episode, since 198. So we've had the full Gladiators trio announced now. So we talked last week about Deepa and his departure. He has not only been replacing the head coach position, but also Gladiators have added two more additional assistant coaches and so now we have fakes who was the previous assistant coach uh, and the only remaining assistant coach from this season 2021 now being promoted to head coach he brings along with him two big names from the coaching scene one is Ante, who was on atlanta rain and did a lot of work for the atlanta rain and two is someone called smash who you might not have heard of if you're not really looking into tier two a lot smash is someone that i pretty much defined as the brains of O2 Blast and their success this year. So a lot of people, they look at O2 Blast and they're like, man, this is a good team. And then they look at Liquipedia and they see O2, Blast, O2 Boss in the head coaching position and look, uh, I'm not going to speak negatively of him because I don't know fully his role. But what I do know is people regard Smash as being the main strategic coach of that team of O2 Blast and being the person that really powers O2 Blast and their success, at least from a strategic point of view, which is why he would make a fantastic assistant coach for the the uh, LA Gladiators and beyond that as well. Yeah. I think he is, to me, potentially the number one tier two coaching pickup for an assistant coaching role or higher. Just start there. Yeah, you're tied to that much success and our you know boots on the ground. You have to take notice. You have to take notice. I will say it is pretty interesting how different teams are moving in terms of the size of this staff coming in, right? Theoretically, okay. there's an idea where, like, now you're probably expected to have a smaller roster because there's one less player. Theoretically, that could switch around uh, responsibilities for that. So it's it's not unreasonable if you had an edge case um, to maybe downscale staff. And you, according to Sefi, we're sort of seeing this with the Atlanta Rain, right? So I think I saw a comment from him where he said like it's probably just going to me and be me and danny while who's who's on who's on the glads coaching stuff right now it's face it's hunter it's smash isn't there another yep. one no uh, no okay just so. yeah so three people there um i'm wondering where shock is going with that uh i think washington also has three right now so it's is it interesting which direction this is all uh, developing. It is also interesting to see that um, it, am I wrong in thinking like Smash and Hunter would sort of be like inhabiting similar spaces but just probably going to like negotiate between their visions of how of what should be played? Because like in other teams presumably if you only have two mm -hmm. then that one person's vision goes Unless the, the head coach is also like a strong mind for the game, right? Exactly. Well, so. Face is that. So Face, I would define that yes. most likely. Because he was the previous assistant coach. 
Like, so he was kind of following DPA's vision before. Mm -hmm. Now it's under his, you know, it's under his guidance. It's under his leadership. Right. Mm. So you have three strategical minds on this team. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to... Like, like hmm, what would be a good example? Because I don't think... I'm not sure if Atlanta fits, but I guess... Uh, where, like, Danny has been described as a brains. Not yeah. com completely discarding, like, Sefi's game knowledge, but, like... You know, that's, it, it seems to be a much different dynamic from, like, three guys being constant discourse and possibly disagreement and, like, constructing a, a team vision out of that in comparison to just one guy with his, like, 18-year-old prodigious mind for Overwatch, right? Like, Well, Danny is listed as an analyst for the Atlanta Reign. Um, and... I don't know that he's been promoted or anything. I mean, at this stage, it really is just Brad and it's just Sefi and Danny, right? Because the legit RC has moved to a management role. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's and to be honest, the legit RC was mostly doing that role anyway. Yes. While uh, Hunter and Brad were there, so uh, that that hasn't changed much. For Atlanta, this is by the way. I know we started with the Glads discussion. We're going to be moving through Glads into slightly Atlanta territory and eventually into Seoul territory and Mayhem territory here as the coaching. There's going to be a big coaching discussion. Um, but yeah, I mean, Atlanta have just downsized, not replaced Unturned. It's just Sefi and Danny now. Um, Gladiators have a situation where actually now that I think about it more, I, I don't know, but there could actually be some maybe conflict if you have three brains working at the same time, right. too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing happening right there. Maybe Face takes a bit of more of a step back on the strategic side and tries to fulfill more of a leadership coaching role um, while having strategic input and he allows Unter and Smash to do more of that work. As especially, you know, or I was going to say maybe especially Smash, but really both of them. Because, um, you know, Unter brings that to the table as well, as well. You really have to be able to find a strong direction in Gladius because there is a real worry that the way it could go wrong is you have three powerhouse coaches, but they want to go in three different directions and that's yeah. going to ruin your team. You have to no, somehow get everyone on the same page. Right. You you need somebody to either take a step back or try to create an environment where that doesn't happen. Um, I so think... it has happened. I mean, you look at London season one. Yeah, of happens. course. Yeah, one hundred percent. This has happened to a number of teams, some of which YXL, uh, I think as well. Exactly. Right. But we've also seen where it works. Um, in the case of like the shock, right, where you have kind of the the Thanos gauntlet of all of these coaches like 9k and Junkbuck and Krusty all working together to kind of create a championship winning team it all kind of has to be structured appropriately yeah. you can have a lot of strong minds working together for a common goal but it has to be structured well yeah. um and i think that that can happen with this team it's just you know there, there's some possibilities right there are different worlds that this team can run into and i don't think you're wrong it's just you know there's there's always that that flip side where it could work in their favor possibly we'll see you need i think you desperately need face to step up to that leadership mm -hmm. role in a similar way that crusty might um to lead a coaching staff like that because otherwise you're going to get some butting heads um and i know face has been looking for um i mean these two of these people i'm, I'm reasonably close to. i obviously the australian circle is what it is um <laughs> and you know i i know gumba face onto very well mm -hmm. um and he, Face has been looking for more of a leadership. He's been looking for a higher position 
uh, a head coaching position for some time. He explored head coaching offers this offseason, and he still decided to remain with the Gladiators as an assistant coach. He wasn't aware of the whole debate. No one was, because you know, not to go back into last week's topic, but obviously Deepay's departure was quite sudden. So no one planned for that and no one knew what was going to happen. It's not like sure. Face took on the re, to retain his role in Gladiators because he knew that was happening. He did not. He was expecting to be an assistant coach again this yep. year. And now he's been kind of thrust into a head coach position, not out against his will. He wanted to do this as well because he was, yeah. again, exploring head coach options, but he really wanted to stay with the Glads. But he wanted to be a head coach, so actually he gets a W here, he gets a win here, because he gets to do both the things that he wants, stay with the Glads and also be a head coach. Um, but we'll just have to see how it goes on, and, uh, and I hope um, he's able to have that leadership with two other coaches uh, to make that happen. I know for the players, it'll be fine, because he's very familiar with all the players, yeah. so that's all chill. Um, overall, on paper, one of the strongest-looking coaching lineups Easily. in the league currently. Agreed. 100%. I think my, again, my only concern is what does that regime shift look like? Will there be some, you know, bumps in the road? If that, right? It seems so hard to see what they're doing as it stands right now, um, ultimately failing, right? I, I, I can't imagine this roster underperforms in any sense of the imagination outside of maybe one or two hiccups here or there, ironing out those details really refining what this shift in coaching staff looks like and and you know being a success story um coming into overwatch 2 well i mean they look like they got a stacked team they look like they got a, yeah. um, a stacked coaching lineup Every, everything looks stacked for the gladiators so we're expecting another year where they can make playoffs i'm not going to say they need to win the. i'm not going to be an unreasonable gladiators <laughs> fan and be like they better win the entire overwatch league or it's sure, a big yeah. failure i'm like yeah. really you're you're dissatisfied with the team being way ahead of most teams every single year, the only team to have consistently made playoffs every single year. You're disappointed mm -hmm. with that because uh, there's there's like you know tens of other teams that would love to talk right. to you and, and take your position. Just saying. Um, yep. Cool. Let's talk about unless anyone wanted to, didn't want to bring up anything else about Gladiators or maybe even Atlanta. I, I'm happy to move on from that. I think the the one thing I will say about Atlanta is I think that Sefi's created an environment. Um, uh, a team environment at the rain where you can work with less coaches um, for all intents and purposes, you know, everything that we've heard about the team throughout the years, it has been a loose team. It has been, you know, very much a, a different style of coaching that doesn't necessarily need a lot of supervision. Um, or so if anything, maybe, team. just use the correct language, Joe. We, we, we know what you're trying to get to. Sure. Player led. <laughs> Let's call it that. Uh, yeah, it's a player led team. You don't need a ton of people um, micromanaging them. You just have the supervision um, and, and that's it. You kind of leave them to their devices and you trust that they're going to do their job and they tend to. So, yeah, I think that's the reason why a team like Atlanta can work. That's not for everybody, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to Mayhem and Soul now. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of latch on a couple of leagues together, uh, and the reason for that is because there's a there's a related topic here uh, that I want to dive into, which is that. So first and foremost, Mayhem obviously had already announced Gumba. We talked about that, but they've also now gotten their assistant coach locked in as well. And for what we can tell, this looks like the total Mayhem coaching staff for for the time being. It doesn't look like they're getting a third coach just yet. Maybe they will but we don't know anything about that. Yep. 
Right now it's Gumba and the new assistant coach McGravy, who was an ex-player of both Valiant and the Mayhem. The reason I bring up Valiant is because he worked under Gumba as a player at the time, and it's someone that clearly Gumba trusts, and um, he trusts Gumba as well, and they work together as a team in that kind of regard. So he's, and also McGravy is someone that wanted to get into coaching and actually put up an LFT for our coaching some time ago, and it seems like that has been successful. Uh, beyond that as well, before we talk about McGravy just yet, Toby has been rumored to be the new head coach of the Seoul Dynasty, and in some way as well, there was also a rumor uh, that Jesh was going to be the assistant coach of the Seoul Dynasty. That rumor has now been sort of um, taken back by Halo. He's kind of said, yeah. oh, maybe that one's not quite there, and uh, I, we don't have to get too deep in the rumors, but it serves the purpose of the conversation, which is that there had been some controversy and there had been some pushback from the community because they're a little hesitant or they're a little, they're not too sure if these are the right choices. Uh, and I mean, I have my opinions on whether I think the the community really knows what they're talking about or not, but they're a little bit concerned that maybe Toby's inexperienced or that McGravy is also inexperienced, doesn't, doesn't have the, doesn't have the, uh, the, what the resume to back it up or other things, or they think it's an nepotism hire from Gumba or whatever, and they, you know, somebody else and blah, blah, blah. So that, that whole kind of thing happened. I'll let you guys jump on and maybe throw your thoughts in first. Uh, yeah, in general, I, if I'm to understand the crystalline community sentiment, um, as much as I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, I don't know that I disagree wholeheartedly. If I'm going to be completely honest, um, I think they're they're if if looking at the glads, for instance, right, when we look at the the management shift from uh, their previous management into something new like that transitionary phase did reflect in their roster, right? It did reflect in their performance, logistics, whatever it was. I think we've had it publicly mentioned that, yes, there was there was issues with the logistics of moving from company to company. That's an issue. Um, I don't know that coaching is that different, and I don't know that players moving into a coaching role is that you know dissimilar. Um, would I like to see an immediate shift? Do I trust them in their game knowledge? Of course. Um, do I think they can? Yes, but I think there is going to be some growing pains with that, um, particularly with Toby. I think. I've I've always been very bullish on his kind of calling. I from past memory, I think he was a pretty big part of both Souls and Lunatic High's calling structure. So I trust that that he has both the game knowledge and the leadership. But I think in my perfect world, I'd like the head coach to be a formative piece for the roster building as a whole. Um, so my big question would be: Was he involved in this process? If this is actually going to come to fruition. Um, on the flip side of that, Florida basically has done that, right? You have somebody coming in um, with Gunba, building out his team, building out his his active player roster. Um, that's kind of how I would like to see it done. Um, and I don't see too much worry with that. We've seen Gunba be extremely successful in the past um, with the Valiant. Uh, you have somebody gravy coming in, learning the ropes of coaching, being an assistant. I think that's a great role. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I like both of these as long as maybe soul has, um, some communication, I guess. Yeah. I, I think like there's, there's definitely an argument, to, uh, about like someone stepping into the coaching profe profession and directly receiving the head coach job, right? Like there's definitely, mm -hmm. 
The thing is, this is one of those moves where you need full context as to how Toby, Toby moved inside the Soul exactly. Dynasty before, right? Right. If you already command, because, okay, there's two sides of the spectrum, right? On the mm -hmm. one side, he could have been a very highly regarded individual strategical mind. Everyone respected his opinion. On the other side, there's a player that wasn't good enough to play on a team, was potentially just like cursed out by his teammates because he was like one of the perceived like underperformers and therefore had mm -hmm. to be let, be let go. Like none of those, either of those is like probably reasonable to expect to be the truth. But there's a spectrum there, right? And wherever he falls, that could be a very good uh, move by the dynasty or not. But we don't have that access to that kind of information. So we kind of have to take the orc by, um, by their track records. I think, generally speaking, um, it's sort of a bold move, but also you have to ask who else you would get other than trying to gamble. And if you gamble, I mean, it's this season where you do it, right? Like, everything yeah, is so up in the air. Um, the one thing that's interesting is, is that there are significant resources behind Soul, for sure, right? With mm. all their moves, like, you got to retain profit. You got to retain uh, fits. Like, right. you are attracting uh, Smurf. Right, you're attracting Jonak. Those are, those don't come or remain with you unless you leave a bag, right? Of course. So, to sort of, sort of gamble this on, gamble this on Toby. Once again, the considerations, uh, the aforementioned ones apply, but is an interesting move for sure for me. Um, then again, like, it I mean, the Dynasty has has tried a lot of coaches that had uh, yes. previous success and what once they were runner up but i mean you mm -hmm. you guys know what i think about like lucking out in 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 the playoffs yes. and what that says about a season practically not much right so would you uh, would you be more charitable to this move if it was labeled as more of a player run team with with Toby and maybe a coaching staff kind of voicing opinions, guide helping to guide the players rather than being authoritarian. Mm. It'd be worse for me. Yeah, I think like at the end of the day, you still need like one guy. Like, why it seems believable from the outside, and maybe that's also very limited and possibly a stupid way to look at it. But why it is. Mm -hmm sort of like palatable for Atlanta to run this way is honestly like Brad's age uh, in terms of okay. like the, yeah. his life experience and experience as a leader um, to intervene in situations where intervention might be needed. I'm not sure that this scale set is necessarily learned throughout a lo admittedly long career in esports and let's mm -hmm. be honest like Toby have, has weathered a bunch of troubling situations, starting with like yeah. you know the the th theoretically speaking the who are you out fallout in yeah. Apex season between Apex season two and Apex season three, like then transition to Soul Dynasty, not um, having this uh, expected success there. These types of mm. things mold a character and also should be counted towards his experience navigating the Overwatch space. Nevertheless, like. You probably want someone that doesn't necessarily have to learn all the skill sets that will be required. Because, once again, 
We're entering a new game, so this guy already has to, as everyone else will have to, relearn this game or learn anew mm. while also picking up leadership skills and being in charge and taking on the responsibility of, honestly, one of the most well-spending franchises next year. And unfortunately, oh. there's so much volatility in your system that this might also completely tank his career as a coach if he was to fundamentally just, like, shit the bed and... That sure. might just be his career. So hats off to him for having the nuts to go there. Mm. It is a bold move going forward, though. I mean, you talk about experience. This is somebody who has come from a game previous to Overwatch, who has done his mandatory military service, who's 27 years old, yeah. right? Like, this is kind of the natural progression uh, for this player that I think, you know, some of his former teammates has also, you know, tried to dabble with. I think Miro's coaching, what is it, uh, GC Busan Wave or something to the degree? Yep. Um, you know, it, it makes sense, right? When you see some of these former, I think he played special forces uh, in Korea, you know, move into these positions. He has the experience. It's just was my big question was Toby uh, in the back end or in the the front office in time to start to build this roster or was this you know somebody else's decision and he's kind of being plugged into it okay so a couple of things there is one um that changes from team to team because the gm has ultimate sign-off for most teams some teams like for example as, as far as what dpay was saying for gladiators last year and the old previous years was that he has almost exclusive not exclusive roster control but he has major roster control and that basically he decides the roster and then the gm will just be like what all right, well, that's your choice. Uh, whereas some other teams might be the case where the coach will make suggestions and the GM has the final say, but they're the ones actually building the roster. So mm -hmm. it's unclear how that works. But what I'll be, what what I'm going to add to this conversation is the fact that um, I don't know if that's really necessarily a, a thing I'm thinking about too hard. Um, you you have Arnold, obviously, who, who is still I don't know if you would consider him the GM of of Genji or Soul Dynasty here, but he's kind of the public facing. He's the main manager guy he's the main dude at the top that most people know um beyond that mma is still actually on the team as an assistant coach so there's that as well so it's not like toby is operating alone yeah. on his lonesome as a brand new coach or anything like that um but to really get into this topic properly for me i need to also kind of address where the community sentiment is and what they're kind of looking at and, and what they're unhappy with because here's what i here's what i can see okay he doesn't have the coaching experience yet he doesn't have that kind of like winning contenders or like that resume from coaching that comes in and people concern that okay well he's he's potentially taking on some big reins he's taking on quite a lot here um first of all he is well supported arnold so their mma is there second of all jessica brought this up but like soul have gone for some quote-unquote big name coaches with all the resumes that hasn't worked out and i'm not going to try and say that okay well that's just how it is at all times i'm sure if crusty came here things would be decent um, that's maybe putting me putting a lot of faith in someone like Krusty, but what I'm getting is that I, I think it's time that Soul do something different. Yeah, this is the time to like do the you know, Arnold said they're going to make some major changes. Well, fuck me, this is a this is about as major of a change as you can definitely make to your team is you bring in someone like Toby. It's time to do something a little bit more unorthodox. Uh, and I like it, I, I like the unorthodoxness of it. You, you, you've tried going one way, you've tried bringing in the you know, the coaches with the big with the big resumes and that just hasn't worked for your team. It yeah. has not worked for your team. It's time to do something different. Um, 
and to speak positively to Toby, like echoing what Joe was saying, yeah, he's a super well-respected player. Age is an important factor, by the way, and mature age maturity and the veterancy as a player is super important in Korean culture. Um, where you know, if you're a younger player, and they all are younger than Toby, because Toby was the oldest player in the league up until the end of the season. So people respect their elders. People have a lot of respect for people you know, in the in the Korean culture, which who are physically older than they are, but also in Toby's case, more experienced, more of a veteran, uh, a player that's just found more success. He's been there pre-Overwatch League, Luda Dekai. We're talking Apex. We're talking, you know, double championships there. So, you know, Toby's done so much. He's super well-regarded in that stage. And you need a leader that's as well-regarded as that. Um, he's about, he's more experienced than most other people that you'd be happy to have as a head coach. For example, I don't think anyone would be upset that Kuki is a head coach, but Toby is far more experienced than Kuki is, is far more like, you know, uh, in terms of his player resume has yeah. done so much more. I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that says your player resume defines how good you are as a coach. Yeah. But Toby's got that on the lock if we are going to go in that direction. Uh, but to backtrack, because I'm not going to go in that direction because I'm not going to be using a player's skill level or anything like that. So I don't regard this as being like, oh yeah, well, Toby... He quote unquote maybe became washed and wasn't good enough a player anymore. But that's, I mean, that's just the perfect transition into going towards a coach because that that that's like most of the players that became coaches. Kuki, J Mac, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Giving some other names. You guys can think of them. You you know the ones I'm talking about. There's plenty of those that exist out there that have existed over time. Um, um, it's hard to think on the spot, but once you once you yeah. look through the Wikipedia's, look through the the rosters, you start to see Christopher. You know, guys like yeah. that, right? Mm. Past his playing career. But ideal to be uh, someone like that is their coach. Actually, you know what? Unter face Gumba, all three of those guys, all three of them. McGravy's in that direction now as well. He's still quite a young person, uh, in Pretty all sure respects. I'm not saying you have to be old. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to be ageist about it or anything like that. But Toby is kind of like almost the perfect mixture. He is like that lightning in the bottle that just kind of has everything going for him. And I once again say, like, if you if people don't have problems with players like. J Mac and Kuki becoming coaches than head coaches. Yeah. I don't think you should have a big problem with Toby doing. The only thing that people have a problem with is that he's instantly going to head coach. Yeah. And that he's not not quote unquote proven. But my question is, what the fuck is proven? Does he have to have a contenders win? Does he have to have sat, sat under anybody else as an assistant coach first? Why is that the case? Why do people believe that's required? Why is it in the community's mind of their criteria that that is something that is actually required? How is that Toby? Why is it that we can't accept that Toby might actually just be ready now, right? Is it possible that he could just be ready now? I think it absolutely could be. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm Toby, or if I'm Arnold, and I, I, you sit in that conversation, none of us are in that conversation, no one's there except those two, and Toby goes to Arnold and he says, I know how to fix this team. And I think if you're Arnold at that stage, you're like, fuck, uh, this could be the guy. Yeah. If you have the solution to my problem, we got a business We got a business exchange going on right now, you know? It's also I, a great I don't story. see what the problem I don't, I don't see what the problem is there. I don't. Uh, why? Why does it have to be? Why does it have to be the next Wizard Wizard Hyung or the next? I don't know. Name some Always Su or KDG or whoever yeah. on this team. Changun, right? Why does it have to be one of those guys? Why can't it be the guy that's one of the most accomplished players in Korea? Yeah, has one of the biggest resumes as a player, um, and yeah. has potentially the solution to your team. Why can't it be that guy? I think both Florida and Seoul are opting on in extremely safe bets. Um, Gunba, obviously a lot more safe, but you know, you to, to highlight your point, you know, again, somebody Toby is somebody who has done it all. 
on multiple teams and multiple formats and systems. He's seen success through it all. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't doubt that he would be a good, a good head coach. Well, there may be, be some bumps along the way. Of course, who doesn't have them? Um, but yeah, to, 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 to try and decry that some, or that Toby is like some washed overwatch league player <laughs> going to in retiring in the front office because of, you know, friends he's made along the way in Seoul is uh, disingenuous to say the least. I, I will say I have a good gut feeling about this. doesn't mean much, mm-hmm. but just like looking at like, if you've stuck, maybe, maybe it's a false sense of ability or experience, but like if you stuck around esports long enough, you pick up on certain patterns that make you feel away and, those tend to be more right than wrong in their predictive power. And I have a good feeling about the Toby pickup, just like what kind of a personality he is, how that story developed, that he has military experience, um, that he has the accolades, that he knows what it's like to be one of the best players in the world. Like all this really adds to that. And then also just like how he carries himself and has carried himself throughout his career lends itself to a narrative that you have seen before in esports. Now, what I will say is interesting is that he became head coach in front of MMA, for instance, right? Yeah. Like, MMA is- doesn't have a lesser resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in Overwatch, yes. But, like, for those that don't realize, like, MMA was one of the, is one of the most legendary StarCraft II players of all time. Yep. Uh, especially in... Towards the earlier parts of the game, like he was a dominant Terran um, mm-hmm. and really a legend of esports. Uh, and maybe we, we would have maybe seen that move up. And that interests me why they thought, like, the, him staying. Well, is he an assistant coach now? He is, so, he's yeah. still an assistant coach. Yeah, that. He was and still is. Like, that is an interesting move to me. Um, but at the same time, like, they know the internals more. They probably know uh, how these guys work as leadership figures more. So I'm willing to try. I, I mean, Solas tried a lot. I think it would be actually also a super dope story if they were to be like the team that rivals Shanghai Dragons next year under the leadership yep. of Toby with guys like Prophet yeah. still on the team. Um, <sighs> it, it would be dope, yeah. I'm just saying, we've seen so many tra- players transition from players to coaching so successfully and eventually into head coaching. Like, wh- why yeah. Why? Why is it a problem that we've expedited the process for Toby? I just think it's so arbitrary that people are like, no, he has to go through this process. He has to be in contenders as a coach and work yeah. on dark mode because that's apparently a thing. And it's just like, all oh, this kind of crap. I'm like, why? How, yeah. What if he's good enough now? That's my question. What if he's good enough now? If he's good enough now, and by the way, I can't, I can't tell you if he's good enough now, but also you listening right now, you can't tell me either. So we, yeah. we're at an impasse right now. We're not, we, neither of us can really convince each other. But what I am saying is like, Sol obviously have a commitment and faith in Toby that he is ready. Toby has a commitment in, his, in himself that he's ready. Yeah. And again, I, from my perspective, the way I see this, and this is some heavy speculation, mind you, but what it is to me is like the part of the reason why Toby probably gets the job over MMA it's because Toby's got the solution. He's got the answer. He knows how to fix this team mm. and how to put this team in a winning position. And you need someone that the players can trust and respect. Mm. Uh, and I don't think there's a single Korean player out there that is in that position as much as Toby is. Like, he is unique in that regard. Uh, even further more than, I would say, Ru Jae Hong, who's been retired yeah. in 
kind of casually playing for so long that I, I don't think he'd be in the same conversation as someone like Toby, even no. though he'd be the only other person that you might have that in that conversation. Um, even furthermore than someone like Miro, who's been coaching in tier two, but I mean, he, he hadn't been in the Overwatch League for, for nearly as long. Toby's been here the entire time. He's only just recently retired after yep. a season on the Philadelphia Fusion Week. Honestly, he played well. He played super well. Yeah. He was even benching Funny Astro for a decent amount of time yeah. when Funny Astro was in Korea, mind you. So I just don't see why people have to arbitrarily put this thing on as in like, oh, well, you know, I, I think uh, a good coach is decided by X or Y things and they have to go through contenders to prove that. I'm like, no, I don't think that's true at all. I don't agree. Yeah. Um, as again, someone who is very familiar with how contenders is and has been there the entire time, I do not agree with that statement at all. And this is where I want to talk about gesture as well, because while that was rumored that got taken away, the message behind that and the sort of feedback and backlash behind that was a little bit bothersome for me as well, because people were like, obviously, okay, I get it. Gesture's a bit of a meme. He's a swag daddy, and he, you know, he, you could debate his playing career was a little bit. <laughs> you know, awkward towards the end, and the whole Marvel gestures thing was a bit of a joke on the Soul Dynasty. I, I get it. But why does any of that have any implication or impact on his coaching ability? I'm not saying gesture is going to be the coach, because apparently that's an incorrect rumor. But hypothetically, if he was to become the assistant coach for the Soul Dynasty, why would that be a problem? Why yeah. does gestures playing career and his <laughs> reputation as a player have to suddenly be the defining factor for him as a Coach, if you are okay with someone like J-Mac, who was at best in a league average player, probably worse, to be honest with you, yeah. if you're okay with that guy being a head coach, why the Bro. fuck do you have a problem with gesture? Nah, J-Mac was a meme, like, for the most part. Like, at least, maybe that's just through the lens of Yescord. But man, like, I, I remember situations where this guy was wide on an island, drowning, like going deep and whatnot like some yakpong level shit real yeah so yeah i i don't think there's any overlap no, cor no correlation Zero. yeah yeah it's it's just i understand like that the entire story surrounding gesture and what one might have heard around like um his ability to put work in and like looking a lot better in certain matters and whatnot and like also starting into seasons slowly I, I think in i guess it's fair to say in season two and season three um that that sort of contributes towards a very limited reading of the situation that unfortunately is also given to us by our language barrier um but yeah i think a lot of the controversy comes from this idea that there's a rite of passage that isn't yep. there it yep. simply that just isn't. We have this this idea that path to pro is this set thing, and like after X years, I'm up for a promotion, like in a normal office job. When that isn't the case, this is this is a competition. This is an esport. Like if you are the best for the job, you should be hired. And I'm not saying this system is very efficient at figuring out at all times what who the best people are because once again we do have a gatekeeper system with a franchise league system where we're not stress testing ideas necessarily each season nor do we apply pressure for people to care but at the same time like it's it is a weird stance to think that you have to go through all the motions and then finally reach the summit no you can absolutely jump up to the summit 
like yeah. what you're doing it for some reddit audience is like well you know this this coach has done done the fucking monkey dog song and dance now he's done the contender song and dance so now he's got yeah. the check mark for me i'm ready for him like why shut the fuck up why does that matter like why this is why does a coach have to perform and do a little dance for you contenders yeah. for that to be like okay for you yeah, yeah. I don't, it doesn't make any fucking sense to me it's just it's all performative it's all just like bullshit arbitrary rite of passage if a person is good enough and they're ready they just are that's the fact yeah i think it's i think it i agree first off um that it is mostly performative but i think the reason why it is is because contenders is such a different system it's a different amount of pressure it's a different you know level of player that you're working with right like everything about contenders is so divorced um, and before anybody kind of tries to claim like, oh, well, the top contenders team compete, you know, we just got done talking about how, you know, some of the top contenders teams can compete with the Overwatch League. Yes, that may be the case, but that doesn't necessarily like that is kind of success or that like rite of passage, if you will, um, does not necessarily provide any evidence to the contrary. Right. We don't know if that necessarily means that they're strong coaches or that they can come in and be a head coach. Um, I, I will say that I think there is more I'd like to see a little bit more gambling when it comes to assistant coaches. But there again, you have to look at the health of the league like it, none of this is healthy for anybody. Um, I think it's performative because it's so different. Um, it's a different set of skills. It's it's hard to hard to really hone. Sure. Um, and it takes a long time. Let me speak to that because, you know, I, I've, I've talked to GMs where like, and by the way, just because you've won in tier two or you've done okay as a coach in tier two, that doesn't necessarily qualify either. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not gonna lie, the whole thing is a little bit arbitrary. You could argue the entire system is pretty arbitrary. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is when you sit in that interview one on one, you as the prospective coach for a new team, and then on the other side of the table, uh, it could be a physical table, maybe you're on Skype or whatever is the GM who who potentially might hire you. That's the only conversation that matters. That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day is whether that person on the other side of the, on the, side of the table that, you know, signs the dotted line believes you can do the job or not. That is yep. literally it. Yes. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters beyond that conversation, that singular conversation. Yeah. And I've talked to GMs where, like, you know, the, some of the people in contenders that people might be like, oh, you know, this guy from contenders and that tier two coach... Some of these GMs that have interviewed those guys, it's just like this guy's this, these coaches are fucking jokes. Some of these coaches are not good. Some of these coaches that have done well contenders, surprise, surprise, might actually be fucking bad. You know? Yep. And people that have actually looked at it have trialed these coaches. I'm not gonna I'm not saying who, I'm not gonna name anybody. I'm not and this is not subtweeting anybody anyway. So don't don't try and do any detective work here. I'm not specifically saying any people, but from my from you know, from when I've really dug deep into this topic before. You know, not everyone that comes out of tier two and coaching is good. Some of them are legitimately good. When I get like real hard data and I get some real good anecdotes about like who's done what kind of work and who, how they are to work with, I can get a bit of an idea of who they are. Then I can maybe speak to them a little bit more or maybe I've seen it in person. But a lot of them, no one fucking knows. At the end of the day, no one really knows who is and isn't good. And it's up to the ability of that GM to decipher that based off a number of factors, which includes results, includes, you know, their leadership qualities, their their resume, and then you 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 talk to them in the interview. Does does it match? They have a good vision. Do they have something a vision that aligns with your vision for the team? And that's how what that's kind of really what ends up mattering at the end of the day. And I think doing like a random, not random, but doing like some performative thing, like yeah, you got to go through this thing or that thing, or you have to be an assistant coach first. I'm like, why does that really matter at the end of the day? If you can just do the job that you were hired to do, 
and I'll be honest, I'll be straight. Look, a year down now from for now, oh, this uh, this could be a complete joke because maybe Soul Burn and Crash and Toby is actually not mm. very good. I don't know. I don't know. But but yeah, what I can say that. is, I'll trust. Right now, I'm willing to trust Arnold. Right now, I'm willing to trust mm. Soul. That if they're willing to put Toby up there instead of MMA, they've done that for a good reason. Yes. Yep. A healthy dose of, dose of speculate, you know, uh, caution, I think, is fair. Uh, but to try and claim that, you know, players can't be good coaches or that, you know, these players are washed and, oh, the, all these tier two coaches deserve a shot. Yeah, they got their shot and apparently they. All of them? Really? Provide. All of them? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Here's the thing. Also, word of advice to those guys. I sympathize because it feels like a lot of your hard mm -hmm. work's not being recognized. You are in tier two, my dude. If you tell someone or post on your private about something, everyone knows, including Overwatch League GMs. You're not being cute. We get you one event. Talk to your mom or some shit. Like, some of you have embarrassed yourself on socials, even behind curtains, and are now possibly, like, tainted towards getting employment in the future. So, like, just, just be smart. Like, chances are, if you're one of those guys crying, you're probably not more qualified than any of the people we talked about. Or not clearly so. Like, your, your results don't speak for themselves to the point where you should be getting these jobs. Yep. So you have shit to improve. Why cry? Yep. Right? Like that. It, yes, it is not a fair situation where you can dra drag yourself out of that situation completely by your own bootstraps because you gotta get past the gatekeeper. But none of the people that I see in contenders very obviously are being slighted or don't deserve it. With the exception of, like, if O2 Boss was actually the guy, the super hyper mastermind, and has been for several yeah. seasons just pumping out the best uh, Overwatch talent that has come out of the last two years of contenders, and this guy is completely being dodged, yes, that's the one guy I can see, like, who, who I would understand to have an attitude. By the way, not my understanding he's that guy for O2, either. So, like, you have improving to do, very likely, bro. Like, do you actually want to get, be the guy that gets in there by being 2% better than McGravy and being, like, in a position where you were slighted from that job because you're 2% better? That's not a point of argument, bro. Like, and you, you having performed the dance doesn't qualify you for the job. Just do your job. And the one thing that I think really does matter, and this is what I'm going to put a lot of weight onto, is player opinions of who they want to work with, who they who they've yes. had good experiences working with and who they believe is good. Because at the end of the day, the people working with the coach are the players and if they can't get along or the players can't give, I can't respect the coach or anything like that. It's not going to work. And, you know, GMs are going to be, you know, talking to their players and there's going to be cases, especially when we talk, we discussed this already. Some GMs are going to take more roster control and some GMs are going to have less roster control. The ones that have more roster control are probably already signing players before they even have a head coach, yep. right? Or maybe, you know, maybe they're signing players potentially without the consent of their coach. Well, maybe they talked about it, but ultimately the, the, the GM is the guy that made the decision, not the head coach. My point is yep. that if the players say something like, I actually don't want to work with that coach, hey, GMs might take the side of the players. In fact, sometimes they probably should take the side of the players mm -hmm. because a player could have had a bad experience with a coach. Um, and, you know, I think it's safe to give them the benefit of the doubt most times. Could you get some shitheads sometimes that are just trying to deny some guy maybe, but 
you'd be causing problems anyway, in which case you'd have an ultimatum. Who do you want? Do you want that player or do you want the coach? Because you're obviously going to end up picking one. Um, do you really want to force your player to work with someone that they don't want to work with? Like, at the end of the, the thing that I trust the most when I talk about coaches is if I get good anecdotal stories, if I get good feedback from players in terms of who they think is a good coach, that to me is one of the prime indicators of who actually is a good coach because they've worked with those people directly. They know what it's like to work underneath them and what their structure is. Um, and that's another thing is I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I would expect that the current roster for the Soul Dynasty or their stacked lineup with Prophet and Fitz and Jonak and Smurf now, I would be shocked if they didn't have the utmost respect for Toby, which says everything I need to know about Toby mm-hmm. joining that team as a head coach. Because if the players, if the players give their double two thumbs up, everyone else can shut the fuck up. I, I, I don't know nothing. No other opinion matters. Right? That's it. Um, and so this is why, you know, I get towards, we can move on towards uh, McGravy as well, because this is another player that um, the community has kind of come out and had some negative, uh, had some backlash for because of um, this one's even for even dumber reasons than I think gesture because they'll they'll say something like oh well you know he stepped away for a year and he didn't play this year and um, oh he, he tried to play Apex I'm like oh yeah okay Arns tried to play Valorant do you think something gets Arns coming back no you don't um well you know okay he stepped away from yeah well you know okay that happens um I think for the most part people don't have a problem with Gumba. Yeah, he stepped away for a year, but that's I think most people consider Gumbo to be a pretty good coach. I don't think that's like a good enough argument either. Because the game hasn't really changed over the last year anyway. So why 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 is that a problem? Um it's not like the game it's not like we're playing a totally different game. In fact, the game we are about to play a totally different game next year. So stepping so away from bunk. 2020 stepping away from 2021 actually makes no difference because 2022 yeah. is gonna be fully reset button anyway. So why does having stepped away from a year even matter in the slightest? It it doesn't, right? And then beyond that, this is the dumbest reason. This is the third and absolutely the stupidest reason is people just don't like him and therefore don't think he's a good coach. I do not like this person's personality or his persona. Therefore, I'm against him being a coach. What does that have to do with anything? I'm not saying you have to like somebody. I'm not saying you are forced to like somebody and also accept them as a coach. You are allowed to dislike them, but also be like, well, I don't know who's a good coach, so maybe he's an okay coach. Though both things can be true. Why does your interpretation or your you know, your ability to like someone's persona have any relevance to their coaching ability. That has got to be the absolute dumbest thing I've seen this week. Much. Yeah, I think uh, the, to, to Gravy's defense, I think he's another player that has seen a lot, uh, experienced a lot, um, having gone through Envision and their tumultuous history, um, going from, you know, I think a, a, a promising star Western DPS player into, you know, flex tank role. He's been with Overwatch thick and thin, um, been a, a very vocal member of the community um, in, in both healthy ways and, and maybe some more antagonistic ways. Um, but that's irregardless of what he can do as a coach, right? If there was ever a position to be put in to try to build a resume as a coach, why wouldn't it be the assistant coach? Right. Um, it, I don't understand the backlash. I, I empathize with tier two for the most part. Um, but this is it's it's trivial. We we just in, in w- without being results uh driven analysis based, 
I, I'd like to wait and see. I'd like to wait and talk to these 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 players and the coaches and see what the system looks like before trying to pass judgment. Like because what Avril's saying, it, it comes down to Albert's decision. It comes down to Arnold's decision on who's good and who's not good, right? And if they don't make, you know, if yes, I think uh, being successful in tier two gives you a pass to the dance, but that doesn't mean that you're going to ace the test, right? These people have seemingly aced the test with invites, um, and. You know, we have to wait and see what they look like, right? It, it also doesn't mean that there. It also doesn't mean that you are the best fit for the job. And this is this is where it gets into like murky waters a little bit because what does best fit mean? Because that's that's a bit arbitrary. That's a bit uh, subjective, right? What at the end of the day, I'll I'll, I'll say this up front. I'll, I'll be completely honest about this. Yeah, McGrevie has less coaching experience than a lot of coaches out there. I mean, so sure. is Toby. To be fair, yep. McGrevie has a lot of he doesn't. And also, by the way, yeah, sure, he didn't do well on Darkmoor. He didn't do well on Tier Two. Even though, by the way. Unter came out and publicly acknowledged that that was his fault, but no one has a problem with Unter. So you know, there's a double standard. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm saying people should have a a, a, a problem with Unter, but why have a problem with Gravy then for Dark Mode when it when Unter said it was his fault? Um, if you're okay with Unter, you're okay in that regard in that argument with McGravy. So what mm. I'm actually what I'm trying to say is, let's let's say let's say McGravy is actually not like the best coach in the pure definition of like. I don't know, being the best mind, being the being the best analytical person, being the best X or Y. And he, he actually might be, he's actually smart as fuck, by the way, but let's just play that card for a second. Let's just, let's just entertain that thought. Just because someone in tier two or somebody, another coach that's been in Overwatch League could be a better fit that way, they might not be the best fit for the team because consider what a team might actually need, what they've experienced, what they're comfortable with, um, and what they're personally looking for. That's, diving into the intangibles rather than just like who's got what results on what yep. on what team like because you then you get to joe's argument here which is you're just being results biased mm-hmm. and i think that's dangerous as well because yep. you have to start thinking about okay well if you are looking at what mayhem need what gumba wants and what he needs as well he would like to work with something he's worked with before this mm-hmm. is a level of trust there right he's yep. worked with mcgravy before they trust each other i talked to mcgravy about gun mcgravy has extremely positive things to say about his experience working with Gumba. Um, and for people that know Gumba a little bit better, actually, if you if you know anything about Gumba, he he can potentially be, you know, quite upfront and maybe hard to work with in some ways. And, and even then, people will say they had a decent time working underneath Gumba as a player. Um, yep. So there's that one thing, right? That Gumba wants someone that he can trust and he can work with. Here's the other thing about you, you understand Gumba, well, you know one of his weaknesses is that he's not really great on the emotional side. Um, in fact, he 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 personally acknowledges that so much. He tries to even like I guess take lessons or tries to understand and and learn in different ways in his own ways of how to be a bit more personal as a person. It sounds like a crazy thing to say because I'm it's like I'm describing a robot who's trying to learn to be a human. You know, like I'm trying to I'm describing a cyborg as like how do I become human? Mm. But you know, Gumba recognized he has a weakness in his empathy side. His his emotional quotient might not be there. His IQ might be high as fuck, but his emotional quotient might be quite low. So he needs someone like McGravy, who's very personable, extremely personable, gets along with other players. I don't care if you don't like him as personality. That's his, that's his online yeah. Twitter, Twitch personality. That's not who he is as a person. I doubt you've talked to him properly as a person. I've done that. I know who he is better as an actual person, aside from the, his online persona, because people have personas, right? That's the thing. Um, and if he can get along with players and understand their problems well and be able to relate that back to government and be able to coach players in a way that kind of fulfills more of what Packing 10 did on Valiant, that is when you have a really good dynamic duo between Gumba's 
kind of IQ and then an, an EQ coming from a different direction to kind of balance that out to yeah. give you something to really work well with on a team. That's what the mayhem need. That's why McGravy's there because he's a trustworthy person that they have experience with that they can trust to be alongside Gumba to fulfill a specific role to complement Gumba's strengths and his weaknesses. That's why he's there. And that's the thing people don't understand. That's why everyone's like complaining about McGravy and talking about other people coaches. You guys don't even fucking think about the intangibles. Maybe you don't know about them, but you certainly didn't even try to know about them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that summarizes a lot of this really well is that they're, a, I don't think there's a ton of stuff to look into intangibles, but even with those being public, like you're saying with Gunba and Gravy, um, it, it does not seem like people have put in any kind of legwork to try to know. Um, you, you have to try to put a little bit more faith into these GMs. Yes, I think there have been some outliers in the past, but for the most part, most of them have brains in their skulls. Most of them know what they're yeah. doing for the most part. Um, and can can put people in positions to build teams well right or or actively build teams well um and if they don't then we can discuss that but as it stands right now i think you have to give people the benefit of the doubt at the very least yeah agreed. trust that people can do the jobs okay if we're ready to move on let's actually talk about um, building rosters joe let's actually move on to building rosters now as Let's do it. How long? Well, damn, two hours in, we're getting to we're getting to roster talk now. Maybe we can speed through this, or maybe there isn't going to be that much. We'll we'll figure it out. Uh, mayhem. Start mm. with mayhem because we were just there. Um, they already had checkmate Sima Jet on the roster. Um, Yaki is heavily rumored to be leaving, so we'll pretend he's not there currently. And they have now recently announced Hydron, with also Adam being rumored. Um, am I missing somebody here? Someone is rumored as well. I think there's another. Yeah, there's someone. Someone, is rumored. someone, the main. Someone, the player. Name, but yes, yeah, exactly. So their full roster, if all rumors are correct, including the players that have been officially announced, are Majed, Checkmate, Hydron, someone, and Adam so far, which means mm -hmm. they're only missing another support player to complement Majed. Oh, and yes. a mirror's also been rumored, I believe. Yeah. So there's mirror on there as well. So they have uh, three DPS: Checkmate, Hydron, and Mirror. Two tanks, someone, and Adam. And then one support so far, Majid. What do you guys think? Having talked to some of the people more closer to North American contenders, I think that this is a an early dark horse pick, an early Valiant Award winner. Funnily enough, with Gunba, very Gunba esque team, um, to do well above expectations. I think people are going to look at this like, oh, how good is Sir Majid? Yeah, Hydron gets a lot of hype. You know, how good is someone, blah, blah, blah. I think this team can is built well from the outset with the rumors that we have um, and and can surprise a lot of people. I think I think this team is going to do well above expectations from the outset. Again, with them in a vacuum, with the pieces that they have, with the, the people in the front office, trusting Albert and his vision. Yeah, I think this team is is well built and will exceed expectations. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's once again. I think it's not unfair to say that the, the, the Mayhem are one of the more budgety rosters this year. Of course. In comparison. Um, so, like, I think people would have to adjust the expectations based on that to a mm. decent degree. That said, like, their roster does look very, you know, like Valiant Season 3 in terms of, like, what kind of uh, players they've picked up. 
Um, I'm actually excited to see what it might look like if Mirror was to be like a stable starter uh, for mm. this team. Um, and what, what that could make out of him as a player. Because he, he arguably, arguably was one of the best aces we've had in Overwatch League history. Mm. Um, or like, you know, like... Would you say ace? What is that a better term for a Maybe player? Maybe ace like, is the I, wrong term. But I, I, I know I what you he's, mean. He's, he's been one of the key like wild card or trump card yeah. kind of players. He comes in for a like, map or two on a yeah. weird pick yeah. and like performs very well on that one. That's mm -hmm. what I mean, right? That's that kind of tool set is invaluable in a game that we don't know dick all about, right? Yeah. 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 The problem is that he then had because he had to have this profile as a player because of the people. Uh, DPS players he played with, it, it like everyone probably feels like, oh, his fear pool is just like Doomfist and other weird shit. When, no, like this guy can play the standards. He's just like sat behind some of the best players in the Overwatch League for the longest yeah. time, right? So, yeah. excited what that might mean for him. Um, mm. I think Adam getting a second chance uh, is, is great. Um, I know like teams, more teams were probably interested in this guy this offseason. Um, and then, yeah, as it, it will be interesting to see who they get as main support. And theoretically speaking, yeah. I mean, there's some still some heavy hitters out there, right? And I'm not 100% convinced that every one of them will find a top team. You know, I'm talking about the moths or the mm -hmm. uh, FD gods or, you know, these types. Um, so we'll see where the journey for this team leads. I am very interested to see what they get at main support because after, you know, doing some research, stay tuned on that. Um, yeah, it seems like they're, they've got some, some interesting things happening in that, that, that sector. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think what they, what they really need is like, it depends how big this roster wants to go. I mm. think this is a roster that, that looks like it wants to be a dare I say seven man roster. Yeah, very lean. So yeah. three DPS, two tank, two support. Probably. Rather than eight man roster. What I do know is that like this is and you said this already, Joe, but this is the most Gumba esque roster you've ever seen. Gumba has, by the way, a signature and a trademark in his roster building process. Yep. Uh for good reason, by the way. He he is very I think accomplished in being able to make rosters that are high efficiency and high value yep. for cost for, for yep. what you're paying for essentially. Um, that's not to say they're getting a bunch of players off a minimum or anything, you know, and, and here's, here's, here's a fun tidbit is um, as yes, kind of alluded to that Adam had options this off season. They're more than, you know, this isn't like, Oh, you know, yeah. Gum is just doing some nepotism bullshit again, where he's just adding in people. He's no. just adding in gum. Adam, Adam had, I had options. He could have gone elsewhere, uh, which is also, more evidence just to just to give you about how fucking robbed he got last year from Valiant. Mm. Uh, to say that he got robbed from an opportunity to debut on the Valiant, and now he has to kind of re-debut in the league in a situation the, where even though he had to go back and grind contenders for a year, um, across both... I think he played in Korea Trials, or was it Korean Open Division, Australian Contenders, and NA Contenders. He played in like three different regions this year. Um, and they then still came out of tier two with, with with more than one offer, with multiple offers on the table in the off season. So this is how valuable Adam actually is, and how robbed he got from Valiant. So beyond that, though, one of the, what, uh, this roster is very well rounded, has a lot of heavy hitters 
that are more like overlooked heavy hitters. Mm. Right? I'm not going to lie. These are probably more players that other teams potentially would have passed up on. I think the one play on this team that other teams would have really wanted as a potential first pick, especially if they're also going for a similar roster, is probably Hydron, number one. Um, But beyond that, you know, I I look at um, the Mayhem as a very well-rounded team. I very much like their DPS line, especially. Um, Just because Hydron, I know, is a great hit scan player from Contenders, has that tracer roll down lock. Mirror is super flexible. Is that kind of like a Swiss Army Knife player that's been also utilized on Gladius for some of the reason. But I, I... I hope it doesn't get benched as much, but I do think there is, um, with Overwatch 2, a lot that could happen. So Mirror is the perfect kind of player, like you guys mentioned, to yeah. fit into multiple roles. And he's also dabbled on tank. So yep. there's, your, there's your third tank option if you want. And then Checkmate is your fourth tank option if you want, as a bit of a joke. Um, but Checkmate never got to play DPS because he was perma-bench behind yeah. Yaki. Now he can kind of show that. He still has most of Yaki's hero pool. So you've kind of retained Yaki light in a manner. And maybe, uh, maybe that's speaking a little bit too negatively to checkmate mm-hmm. you know i'm calling him a yaki light but in a I way mean, it kind of is i don't think that's, that's too that's kind of a unreasonable kind of a compliment too. Yeah. it's kind of a compliment too, in a way yeah. um and certain jetta's like i think it's just a really uh mechanically gifted heavy hitter on the flex support that other teams may have overlooked or yep. uh, might not have been their first option but i think is a very strong like if we were doing drafting style like american sports mm. drafting you know majed could have been a second round draft kind Easily. of guy you know he, i don't Easily. think he's a first rounder but second round draft he would have been picked up and so mayhem got a, some big w's here um i like what i'm seeing so we're all good on that cut we're all good on that part we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next team so we don't lose too much time here um because we were touched on to them why don't we just kind of dabble on them again we didn't get to talk about so we did talk about soul last week but they got cut out of the uh content so we're just gonna revisit that soul have really built themselves a crazy stacked super team. And we kind of alluded to this when we talked about Toby um, mm. and the now adjusted and, and corrected uh, gesture rumor. But you got the Prophets duo. You got Stalker playing a very similar role where potentially like a mirror is that flex DPS, very flexible, has a lot in his hero pool that can kind of fit the, the holes that Prophet and Fitz might not be able to. For example, somebody else playing Tracer when Prophet is not playing the Tracer. I don't think that Fitz was comfortable in that position. Um, Smurf speaks for himself. They don't have an off tank on this roster, so if they don't pick up somebody, Smurf is going to have to go into those Diva, Zarya type roles. Um, and then you got some 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 big boys on the support line as well, where Jonak is the, the really high value signing. That's a like huge signing. Uh, next to Creative, who I think is super underestimated and um, super slept on. And then Vindame from O2 Blast, which is one of the best uh, main support prospects from Contenders. Yeah, this is a team that should be shooting for the moon. Um, I think this DPS trio, um, to use uh, Arnold... Well, they they will be shooting for the moon, uh, Shanghai specifically. Yes, pretty much. Um, To use use the front office lingo accurately, um, this is a DPS-centered team. They have built that with that in mind. Yes, sir. And it shows, right? Profits, bar none duo that that can compete at the top level should be title contending now are flanked by i think a perfect piece like avril said uh to compliment them is stalker going to be a starter perpetually probably not but i think he's a great role player to kind of you know uh check and balance the the rotation in general um i agree i echo a lot of the same sentiments i think creative gets a lot of slack i think jonak is fantastic Maybe more than I think the community gives him credit for. Yeah. 
Um, this team's nuts. I think you slap on somebody like, I don't know. I'd lo- I would have loved to see Choi Hyobin on this roster. I think that would have just been like peace oh, de resistance. completed it. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's mm, sure talk about manscaped. I'm gonna have to do some shaving with uh, the mess that's gonna be made. Um, you know, promo code tackle crush. Anyways, you know, it, they're not too far off. They're not too far off. Yeah. Sorry, what are you shaving? If you make are you shaving the mess you made? I didn't quite understand. That. I'll let your okay. imagination, you know, do what it may. With um, what you're sha- are you shaving, you're- though, Joe? <laughs> Figure it out. Yes, come you, on man you, you are you are a soul sorcerer um yes what are you he is you're the soul you're guy goddamn right yes. it's actually not me it's you you're the soul it guy. Really yeah. is. So what, where are you at right well we must be sorcerers are good warlocks are bad hence why sure. <laughs> <laughs> um i think like it will be very interesting to see what kind of uh, off tank they're getting right like that's that's mm-hmm. still like one of the question what if marks they don't? <laughs> and that's sort of like what they sort of kind of hinted at a little yeah. bit with like their signings like they're talking about the strategy i'm not sure i see a, an extraordinary strategy outside of like if they were to not sign uh, an off tank because everything else is pretty ordinary right uh other than maybe that would they would the extraordinary strategy refer to Toby? I'm not sure. Like, but I mean, I could see how, for instance, like someone like Prophet would yeah. then be f- able to be flexible on the tank roll could as well. Um, I I don't see why you couldn't do something like akin to like a two way player that like we don't know if the flex tanks are going to be good. We don't know if main tanks are going to be good, yeah. but we know that Smurf is a good player throughout the course of the history of the game. I think he's a safer bet than taking somebody like to you and putting him on a two way and saying, look, if Diva's good, we bring you in. If it's not, you have a space yeah. on contenders. Great job. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's ways there's ways to make this complete. You've, you just reminded me. So because this is this is the, the I, I, had a, I had a whole thing last week mm-hmm. that you missed out on about to you. And you've reminded me about him. Um, I actually think to you would be ideal for this roster in a way, because. Soul loved to bring in people from their own system, Gen G Academy teams. They had more Academy teams than that. Gen G itself, which is their Academy team, had Academy teams of its own. So they have a long system of players progressing through. Anyway, um, I think 2U didn't get a fair shake this season and you know, potentially looked worse than he was. I, I think he was maybe a bit of a victim to the circumstance of the entire Soul machine. Yeah. Um, rather than... Because I... I when I've talked to some people um, that have really identified as off-tank gameplay, uh, Diva in particular, he's very, very good on. But even then, beyond that, I, I think he's someone that kind of fits the bill for a team like Soul. And that, do you really need... I mean, if you want to be super greedy, you want a Choi level player, sure. But I'm going to be real. I think Smurf starts on this team like 90% of the time. Yeah, So whoever you get on the off-tank, most likely might end up just being a bench anyway. And I think to you, much like a stalker, it's probably some that sits behind the profits and Smurf line in general, mm-hmm. and you know you just need someone to complement the hero pools and like to you is already someone that existed in Soul. I think he deserves to me deserves a second shot because I think he's kind of underrated, um, and he he kind of he he looked worse than he actually was this season. I'm willing to give him give him that to go with. You know, I'll I'll give I'll give him that second shout, but mm. um, I can't think of too many other off tanks unless you want to start digging into contenders, which I don't hate. 
I don't mind if they start doing that. I can't remember if Cleston's been picked up yet, but that's someone that comes to mind. That's from T1, so that you'd be looking at Phillies Academy there. Yeah. Um, but there's not, to me, as someone that's cast a career for two years now, there's not, to me, somebody in contenders career that is like, yo, you got to get this guy, or you're like, you know, you're missing out. Like, this is, there's no, like, proper or even, you know, MN3 or stalker level prospect on that off tank out of contenders career. Nobody mm. jumps out at me. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah, I think uh, that would be an interesting um, dynamic as to how this um, this roster functions. But I, I think what you're saying is, is pretty plausible that we're just going to see something else. The, the thing that would be interesting is if the supports have some say in the tank role or something like this. But it's very unlikely. Say in, what do you mean? Say in who they sign? No, say in uh, maybe they pick up one or two heroes out of that pool uh, but it wouldn't make too much sense right um not really but I, I, I if there was ever a time to do something as goofy as that it'd probably be with overwatch 2 yeah yeah to be fair like there, there will be a lot of new like rules being introduced um we <laughs> will have to revamp our language and how we think about the game Ooh. and um that's needed yeah and uh I, I think there's a there's a potential there for some experimentation. Um mm -hmm. and once again, like it's 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 hard to not feel that the next season won't matter as much in relative sense as other seasons because this is much more of a crapshoot than any other yeah. season. So might it's just asterisking the season. I mean We gotta we gotta go back to the old, you know, three years in, the golden age. We're 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 yeah. you know we got to go back, right? We this that's something that Yiska kind of made mention early, early on. That you know, year three is where we really start going. I think it's a, it's a reset in that same way, and I think that could reset some careers, right? Where you start to see people like a DPS player maybe role swap into tank and find a lot of success. Yeah, not just you know occasional Zarya play here or there, but like a full on checkmate move over. I'm not saying he will, but you know, using him as an example. That would be hydration. So... <laughs> hydration is the only one I can think of. Um... Yeah. Can you imagine just like some superstar player, like someone, let's say Violet legit says, you know what? Fuck support. I'm just going to be D DPS and Overwatch 2 full time. Or. Uh... Well, he can't be because. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'll, I'll let you finish your thought and then, and then yeah. I'll move us on. Yeah, no, I think that people probably do well to think outside the box in terms of what teams are doing in their signing, because there is a lot of room to be adventurous with your systems mm. in this completely new game. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you just mentioned Violet. It's a perfect time to move over to the San Francisco Shock as well. Ah, the right. reason why Violet is probably unlikely to be role swapping to DVS is because rumors have been confirmed as most of them have been so far i think almost all of them have been so far so halo's been doing pretty good with his spreadsheet in the offseason is <laughs> kilo proper and finn have been officially confirmed to the san francisco shock and when you got proper in your team i mean violet just like you know what i might just stay on support yeah. um so sure, I just kind of mentioned well you know super doesn't have an, a, a teammate right now in the tank position yeah. 
Um, currently, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Shock have exactly five players, so they will meet the minimum mm-hmm. for the January deadline with five players, two DPS, one tank, one two supports. They can literally hop into a 5v5 game now and have a team ready to go. Um, but the, the greater point is the proper slash O2 Blast super rookie kind of um, race to get see who, who who's going to sign him uh, and a potential even what is it? I guess a salary. Uh, how how am I how am I just losing the term? It's on the tip of my tongue. Cap? No, no, no. The, 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 the you know what I'm saying? Like they're they're they're, they're fighting sure. over they're fighting over who's they have like a salary war. Bidding war. Yeah. yeah, bidding war. There we go. Bidding war. Jesus Christ! I don't know why I couldn't get that word. I just it was just stuck there. Anyway, <laughs> bidding war over proper. It's been won by the San Francisco Shock, <laughs> and. Um, not not to say that they had the highest bid, but that's the team that Proper wanted to be on. And I suspect that there were plenty of teams that wanted Proper. I don't think Proper had any shortage of offers put on his yeah. table this offseason. I'm sure some of them were huge offers. Some of them were medium-sized offers, and some of them were just teams shooting their shot, which I can respect. Um, but, you know, Proper... Why does Proper join Shock? That's probably a question that people have. In my mind... Part of the reason that proper join shock might have to do with the fact that number one, he actually gets to play with two of his former teammates on O2 Blast, mm. uh, and no, Violet's not one of them because they didn't play together at the same time. But I don't know that other teams were going for more than one player from O2 Blast. Like, I think a lot of teams, and this is speculation on my end, probably only went for only proper and no one else, or maybe proper and Pelican at the same time. But proper, if he wants to play with say Kilo and Finn and have more of like an O2 Blast contingency on a team, because right now, San Francisco Shock is majority O2 Blast, and you can add in Violet as well, who's ex O2 Blast, like four O2 Blast members, really. Mm. Then, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to really look at a Kiss a Homie meta, you know, the friendship meta, Proper's really prioritizing that above taking a bigger bag as an individual member on a different team as a mercenary, right? So, yep. there is that. Um, but also, you know, as far as I'm aware, you know, Violet was actually at the grand finals of Ultra Blast versus Talent Esports Contenders Korea 2 in Busan. And San Francisco Shock have like a reasonable relationship with O2 Blast. And I- I'm sure that proper Kilo and Finn, especially proper, would- wouldn't mind. They would love to play underneath Krusty. Uh, that's probably something they really wanted as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into just picking up players. I know that, you know, speaking to the community for a moment, um, I know that it's really fun to just kind of speculate, but a lot of this has a lot of like merit and it has a lot of reasoning behind it, right? As to why A, players go the direction they do, whether it's, you know, the bag, whether that's reputation and legacy from the franchise, whether that's, you know, having some sort of other bargaining chip, you know, like Avril was saying. It, it's, a, it's a real possibility that because this was a, you know, hypothetically a package deal, that, you know, shock were the... The, the 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 successful ones and the the bidding race for such a um amazing prospect to say the least right with with all the hype around him i think he is you know odds on favorite for rookie of the year if not mvp that's somebody who you want to build around um and it's you know <laughs> it's no surprise to me that the shock are well i shouldn't say no surprise but um it's it feels very shocked to do something like that i also appreciate like the little piece of content kind of putting violet as like this this mastermind you know trying to bring them over giving this this narrative performance i thought that was kind of cute 
really really well done there um yeah I, it, how is this not like an early you know top seed in terms of any kind of power rankings when you have again somebody who's mm. topping all kinds of you know award lists playing with his former team that is also equally as successful maybe not as good but equally as successful then you have super and violet like come on yep, super's bad. They got super back. They're they're game sharking. Which this. this is which means it's a mixed roster. They haven't gone full Korean. Yeah, it's a mixed roster. Now the one thing I will say is proper Kilo and Finn haven't played on mixed rosters before. This is their first mixed True. roster. True. So I'm not gonna just say I I, I have high expectations for all these players because they were fantastic. But mm. you know they, it'll be their first time playing on a non-Korean team outside of Korea with Western players and different locales. I don't know if that's gonna affect them at all. I'm sure if they're good enough players, it won't. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all know Super's great. I don't. I'm, I'm sure Shock might look for more backups. Maybe they get an off tank. Maybe they get one more DPS, more one more support plants. Not entirely clear. But the base five players is looking damn strong. Like I, I'm liking every single player I see here. And before anyone says like, why get Kilo over Amira? Why get Kilo when he wasn't even playing much in the grand finals and he didn't look that good? I'm like, well, it wasn't his meta. We, we he's more of a hard he's like an arms replacement on mm-hmm. this team if anything right he's a gl- glister arms replacement um he's he's like a hard hit scan player for the most part he didn't have a good meta in at the end of the season just like arms didn't have a good meta because it just wasn't a widowmaker based meta mm. so i mean yeah akila wasn't going to get a, game, a lot of game time and he wasn't going to look great because that's just not his hero pool um but other other than that, I, I I'm I'm I like everything I see here. I think all five players are fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I think this. Have they won the off season? With a move well, like that, it, you got to put it, them ahead. Is it Shock sure. versus Soul for off season wins? Who's one harder, Shock or Soul? Or is there another team that enters the conversation? Does Gladiators enter that conversation as winning heavily in the off season? So that's also another one, I guess. Yeah. Because they got, we talk about Arns not being on shock anymore. Guess who has them? Yeah. Like Gladius have them. Yeah. Kefster, Arns, Rhinus, Space, Skewed, Shoe, one of the best backlines, and then add Funny Astro. That, that might just be the best backline now. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to say who won the offseason because it looks like there's a, quite a few winners of the offseason. Yeah. Yeah, the, a lot of competitive teams already starting to begin to form. The biggest that... win is Chengdu, who have uh, 20 players again. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway. They're just retaining and maintaining, it seems like. But yeah, I think with all the hype around shock or rather proper, um, I think that's the type of player that you really want to put investment into. And I think that barring a few other moves, I think would put them firmly in the lead, I'd say. Yeah. Well, let's go on to a team that is attempting to do something like that. A team that is very much going or at least attempting to go in the same direction as building a super team looking to try and compete heavily in the offseason. A team that I personally did not expect was going to compete this hard in the offseason, but have really dropped some stacks on the table, picked up some Mm. big pieces. I'm talking about the Toronto Defiant, who at this stage, what do we got here? Let me just uh, bring up the list of their current players. So Hisu's been retained. They got Muse Hopper. The big one was Twilight. They got signed on. And then potentially even bigger than that, depending on who you ask, is Chorong, who is maybe the most sought-after main support player out of Contenders Korea, and there was a potential bidding war slash, you know, who, race to sign the super rookie 
uh, on this guy as well, and and Toronto won the race for this guy. Yeah, that uh... for silly money, <laughs> for silly silly money. That's some that's some resources. I didn't think uh, anybody was willing to spend, uh, but yeah. uh, here we are. Um, I I genuinely can't remember how bullish I was on this team last week. I think I was cautiously optimistic but after sitting with it and seeing more of the tank line being built out i'm a little skeptical now i i'd like to see them they're gonna have to they're gonna have to burn a lot of that same resource on this dps line um and i don't know if these other signings are a signal to the public that they can't get some of their shortlist players when it comes to DPS. So they're having to settle for, you know, trying to mitigate that by picking up, you know, higher rated tanks. It's I'm a little uh, I'm a little skeptical now. Yeah, because they don't have DPSs other than he's so far. Exactly. That's kind of what they're missing. I don't know, like this team. I don't, like, I know people don't, like, if you're okay, if you look pound for pound from the roster that they had in the end of the season, then yes, there's a ton of upgrades here, right? But if you compare it to the season start and the perceived quality of those pickups then, then this is not significantly improved yeah. in my mind. So, starts with the tank position. You have a main tank that's covering the roles, but we already established that it's not a great Rhine, who I assume might see a lot of play in, in Overwatch 2. Mm -hmm. um, like, Hotba is a solid performer, but not a great one, and certainly not one that, like, should be on the team that you're trying to create in order to win the league. Hisu is, like, a tier 1.5 DPS, uh, like a Good guy, not a great guy. Sort of like a BQB type player. Sure. Um, I think Twilight certainly is still pretty close to top level. And then Sharong, like in a role that notoriously is currently being like devalued in people's minds, as mm -hmm. they think that True Flex support is likely going to be very important in, into Overwatch 2 and also the requirements that even main support heroes might be molded into through Overwatch 2 because the idea is to also make supports once again uh, interesting because otherwise they would become the bottleneck in the queues would then sort of suggest that they should be becoming more fun and a way to do that is also to make the main uh, the support meta fun by for instance erasing a main support like a large main support pool that forgoes mechanical requirements mm. where satisfaction might come from so whatever you think about that reasoning i think it's pretty sound and overall across the league considered a must to have two flex supports at least right mm -hmm. to churn out for someone like Sharong in that position is a weird one and is it feels like a move you might make if you're already feeling bad about having missed on your uh first and second choices on the dps role hmm. and a lot will come to, uh, down to who 
who they can recruit on those DPS heroes. As far as I'm aware, none, nobody is rumored. Um, I heavily assume that like players that they want to stay full Korean, um, and they're like, for instance, an XE comes to mind. Um, maybe for well, like. Maybe like a, an Alpha Yi could be someone who you might be looking at. And then it gets thin, in my opinion. Like, if you, you need Flex DPS. Yeah. So, what are you doing if you're a Toronto Defiant currently in your position in the uh, transfer market? All the Toronto fans, like, get, get Aspire back. But no, it's going to be a full Korean roster. And uh, this, is, this is my opportunity to give Yeska some space to make a uh, uh, Discord group jokes again but you want to continue that no no no, no. Okay. no. I'll save that um I'll save that for episode 200 I think um <laughs> yeah like if by the way weird you you like brought up you're like you're like oh yeah so they it, you know if they missed out on their their you know their first and second choice for DPS oh you might as well drop a badge on bag on the main support then yeah that's a logical thing to do it just seems like it seems like so strange it's like yeah, yeah yeah if I don't get my DPS picks I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pay a lot of money for a main support is is what that's about yeah as um so adam adamu grazen had publicly tweeted that with chorong joining the team he was actually signed through to 2024 which i believe is a two plus one or something of like uh, like that something in, in that regard um so yeah like chorong's on this team for like a long ass time if anything uh it's potentially a pretty big win for chorong because you're not wrong like i mean you're not wrong about chorong because um, main supports are not as heavily sought after. I mean, Shock don't have a main support yet. Mayhem are still working on that as well. Most teams are kind of working on locking down some heavy header flex supports, and maybe two of them first. Obviously, they already got Twilight on Toronto, so they got one out of those things, two options down. Possibly Toronto can roll swap over to flex support. I wouldn't be surprised. But the biggest holes in DPS, and I don't know, how do you guys feel about the tank line? Like, are you okay with Muse Hopper? No. Do you need heavy hitters on the tank? Is, I'll be real. It doesn't excite me, but I don't hate it. I think it's a good tank line. Um, but is there anything wrong with this? Is this like a weakness as a whole? I'm not too sure yet. I think until you see the DPS, I don't even know if Muse Hopper is a whole. I think I think it's a reasonable tank line. Yeah, I think it's fine. Blue collar working man's tank line. Yeah, and that's where it's like I need to see some like big hitters at DPS that I think there are some, you know, remainders to kind of scrap together, but if those aren't strong, I'm a little, I'm, I'm again, I'm still pretty skeptical. I it's, I'm not, I'm not selling everything just yet because I, I do put a lot of faith into twilight. I do like what I I've, I've heard and seen out of Chorong. I think muse has his heroes. He's who has a role in this team, but they, they need some, some, some weapons. Seriously, they they need some more weapons to support this team because that tank line isn't going to do it. Maybe the supports can. He's who can. I, I if you give right meta. Just steal more players from Philly because it seems like sure. this is. I don't want to call it the Philly retirement home, but it seems like this is you know this is that like Guadalajara. This is this is, what was it? you know this is like this is the, the you escape you escape from Texas. You go to Mexico, and this is this is the Mexico. Toronto Defiant is the Mexico to to. Philly Fusion is everyone who, who escapes Philly just ends up here for some reason. So 
Um, they're just tanking all these Philly players. At some point, Toronto just becomes more Philly than Philly is. <laughs> you got the KDG Hisu there. They got uh, who, who they had next. They got the Hotbar in there as well. Um, just add a couple more pieces, and you're basically there. So they had Sato last year. I mean, you can see the you can see the inspirations, but there's not a lot of options left, and they're they're not going to go back to Logic or Aspire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Neist is really a strong enough player. You'd yeah. have to be desperate to go back to Neist. So. Just steal Carpe, I guess. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like the Alfie pickup um, and then maybe landing uh, another kind of like Tracer hit scan um, and leaving Hisu to do like the Sombra Widow, you know, dedicated stuff, I think might be the, their best bet. But even then, it's it's tight it's tight they have to start making moves if they don't if they don't start announcing things i, I as time goes on without an announcement and when it comes to dps i'm more concerned but is there still a strong roster right now you got to stay on paper it's still yeah. a pretty you can't you can't be down about this you can't be like, oh man this is like a no like a bottom 10 roster not at all Wouldn't right it's still like upper up it's there. like it's got to be up yeah there. It's, it's upper it's, middle it's a it's a good feeling for the most part, but it's like a Porsche as, boxer. It's like I'm trying to enter the the luxury, you know, exotic yes. car market, but I'm sure. I'm going for the entry right now. You know, yes, they're they, they're trying to enter the God Squad super team echelon of teams. Yeah, is what it looks like to me. They're almost in there. And oh, as dude. as go ahead, Eric just Eric just Eric just mentioned like EQO or like Rascal or somebody. I'm like, yeah, just keep keep Rascal going for the Philly plays. Keep taking the Philly plays. If Rascal wanted to, I genuinely would be interested to see what he could do in Overwatch 2. That that aside, um, yeah, I, I like what I see out of Toronto thus far. My skepticism lie within the DPS and what everybody else in the league is doing. As more teams start to make announcements like proper, like what Glides are doing, you know, they're starting to get, you know, encroached on and it's not it's not looking safe to see, you know, Toronto consistently hold that like b to a tier ranking i think if they don't start making moves soon or, or show me something that instills some confidence i think they're gonna start to to dip and go back uh, to like the middle hard middle pack i'm cautiously optimistic i'll leave it at that i think uh they got a good start but they need a strong finish otherwise it'll be like a rock it'll be one of those nearly there kind of rosters like oh it's nearly there but not quite yep. So cautiously optimistic as well, land for that one. Uh, pretty happy with Toronto. So why don't we go on to one of the more interesting pickups? Dare I say the most interesting pickup and, and probably the most shocking pickup of all? True, Striker yeah. back to Boston. What is going on here? Because in my mind, despite this being like probably the most obvious pickup in some cases when Boston were heavily rumored, like teasing like a huge pickup, and then Halo's like, yeah. oh, it's someone's returning home. In my mind, I'm like, well, it has to be Striker. But also in my mind, I'm like, it can't be Striker because Huck and Striker do not get along. Those two would just tear each other apart. Short, like, I don't, can they even be in the same room? Are they allowed to talk to each other? Can they be left alone or are they going to get into a scrap? Like, I don't think this can work. So I wrote Striker off. I'm like, it can't be Striker. And mm. then it was Striker. But now my only question is like, well, what, what does this mean? Do they have to put up a divider between Huck and Stryker in the, in the room at the same time? Or like, are they are they allowed to, you know, 
uh, meet each other's gaze in the hallway? Like, what's going to happen? It seems like unless something's fixed there, unless there's like, I don't know, someone's buried the hatchet, uh, it seems like such a strange return. Like, I never would have expected Stryker to ever turn back to Boston considering all the season one drama that went down. Uh, Yeah, agreed, 100%. Um, And as, you know, more things have come to light, um, I think it's it's kind of interesting to look at, you know, that history and retrospective to where Boston is now. Um, Without saying too much of what we ended up recording this weekend, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, I think the community sentiment is lagging behind when it comes to where Boston is now. I think they've done um, a lot of growing and maybe Stryker's done a lot of growing as well um, to the degree that maybe that hatchet has been buried and perhaps that this can be a healthy relationship once more. And, you know, Stryker can come back and be, you know, maintain his 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 laurels as this this incredible tracer specialist uh, for a team that, you know, in the past has has needed one. Um, it's funny that we use Boston to flank Toronto because I'm more bullish on Boston at this point than I am Toronto. Oh, yeah. I like, I like the striker. I like the Marvel. I like the Crimson. Uh, I don't know what you guys have with Marvel, bro. I think I haven't said anything about Marvel. (laughs) No, no, no. It's just me. It's it's pretty much just me. No, and, um, I feel like it's it's like when I say you guys, I also mean the community um, mm-hmm. that I interact with. It's it's been it's it's weird. Like I, I don't necessarily know where to rank him necessarily, but like, and you're speaking about Marvel specifically. Yes, Marvel specifically, okay. where it's like I don't like just because this dude also has played like a couple of off tanks, like not even that well. How much is he even qualified to do that? And I, I don't think he was ever a top performer on any of his picks other than possibly Sigma. Um, sure. So, like, I don't know if that isn't a little bit overhyped. I wouldn't even expect him to play him too much ahead of Punk. Um, I agree. It's quite possible, yeah. So, if in that regard, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, it will be interesting to see Striker work in that team. I also think that they probably need another DPS because technically speaking, Striker's hero pool is relatively limited in how he was at least applied in the shock. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can't be flexible ever, but we'll see. Valentine is a great stay. I I don't have any issues there, even though there's probably also a little bit of a hero pool concern, especially like... Really? Yeah, because like... I thought so. Yeah, but he's pretty okay. Would you I think consider him like a top tier tracer? That is now required of flexi. That's why, why why striker's there. Sure, <laughs> but like, what if you also need a McCree in the same meta? Agreed. That's where I think that that rotation. That's why striker's there. Wow. He plays two heroes <laughs> at once. So that striker can be cloned. Yeah. And then all right, all right, fine. Then maybe, then maybe they need someone else. But then. I don't know. I think Valentine was they just... They didn't want to keep on 37. They didn't want to get him back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was an option. Yeah. Um, Backline. I think, like, 
Crimson is probably on the underrated crowd. Like, yep. No, 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 no. I disagree. He's rated. He's exactly rated where he should be. He's not overrated. He's not underrated. He is just rated. Where, where's he rated in your mind? As a top Western flex support, uh, and even amongst the Korean and, and you know the Asian ones, still pretty up there. I, I think Crimson's. I, he wouldn't be in my top five. We're including every player. Yeah. Uh, if it's only Weston, he's probably my number one. If not my, you know, he's right. top two minimum. He's probably my yeah. number one. But yeah. he's somewhere. He's somewhere outside of my top five. So anywhere yeah. between five and twenty. <laughs> probably not too far <laughs> away from five. Uh, in my mind. Um, yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. If that's the evaluation of the community uh, as perceived. Then that's fair. He's just rated. He's rated. That's it. Yeah. Um, Faith is interesting. That's an underrated guy, right? Yeah. Can we yeah, check no, that with... one? Is underrated, correct? Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Um, so we don't have faith. <laughs> faith and faith. Yeah. Um, one guy that probably nobody really ever talked about, and there, but still performed incredibly well over the season. Um, so we'll see where this goes. I generally, I think I agree with Joe. I think I like, and it is because I'm extrapolating where the, uh, the DPS picks for Toronto can only go. Mm. But I think at the, if every, when everything is said and done, because getting a hitscan DPS is way easier for Boston to accomplish than for f t uh, Toronto to fill out these two DPS slots. I think when everything's said and done, I would rate Boston higher than the Defiant. Wow. Unless, okay, here's the big caveat. If Toronto, with their big money schlong, can just come along and slap someone, their top DPS, out of their hands for a fat buyout that the team just takes, yeah. then if that happens, of course, then there's still... I assume that's not going to happen, though. I think the striker pickup really boosted this team up because mm. without striker, I mean, evaluate the team again. Take away striker, where do you have this team? Much lower, right? So yeah, I, I think striker is the is the is the piece that really shoves this team much higher up. But I I still I got to see what happens because I I don't know what striker's personal relationship with Boston is. And, you know, it seemed like such a rough breakup in season one. It seemed like such an aggressive breakup in season one. Like, mm. never in my wildest dreams did I believe Striker would come back because it seemed done. It was like, you know, that bridge seemed burned. But here we are. Um, bridge repaired, apparently. So if, if that all goes well and there's no drama, there's no conflict, then I guess then I guess I got no choice but to at least somewhat agree. I don't know if I want to put them above Toronto just yet, but Maybe I'd put them similarly. Maybe I'm, that's me having a lot of faith in Boston. Maybe more faith than I should give them than they have on the faith in their own team. Um, but sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm... It's a tough season already. I'm unsure. We're not I'm even unsure. halfway done. No. Um, but what we are more than halfway done is, is we're getting to the tail end. This is going to be the last team we talk about. If your team did not get mentioned today on this episode, I'm sorry. Um, when there's more news or more pickups, we'll talk mm. about them next week. No, we won't talk about them next week. It'll be episode 200. We'll talk about them in two weeks' time. So you just have to hold on tight. There are more players and more teams we could probably still 
talk about but the last one that we're going to speed through there's not too much here it's dallas feel and they have basically locked up the roster we're just going to really just gloss over the new pieces they have almost everybody returning obviously mm. repels retired and jexa got let go chio comes from ultra blast so the other ultra blast player uh, and then on top of that, you're Gurio from Team Diamond from GC Busan, which is the team that Miro coaches in Contenders Korea, and then Edison from the Atlanta Reign. So why don't we go along? Uh, you, I can talk more about the other two, but where do you guys mm. sit with this team, specifically Edison and maybe the team overall? I think Edison is a... Wow, I didn't think I was going to say that, but yeah, I agree. I think Edison is a just pound-for-pound pound upgrade over Exe, or Pine, for that matter. Um, I think he's way more flexible um has a similar hero pool has proven that um and still gives you a little bit more bang for your buck hmm really over yeah. xc yeah i think i think he's i think you could argue that in terms of specialty you could you could maybe pick some some moments some some highlights some some specific heroes that maybe he's a little bit better or worse but I don't know if that's necessarily the goal with Overwatch 2. I think he gives you a much wider hero pool. I think he gives you uh, at least comparable hitscan prowess. I I love this pickup. I think it's great. And then having Gurio to kind of like role play. It's, it's not that this team needs carries, right? But I no, feel like I've never seen Edison in Overwatch League carry to the extent that XC was able to. Okay, yes, but let's let's go back to some of the, the, the logic that we used in previous, you know, uh topics. Was he ever in a position to be able to do that? You're playing behind Ursa, you're playing behind Pelican. I mean the season before like playing behind Ursa apparently wasn't as big of an obstacle in season three, right? I mean, no, Ursta eventually got benched for yeah. Edison because Ursta and it's just not like he stepped up and just up like crushed. Even though the meta was not unfavorable to his uh, heavy hit scan, right? Like Edison hasn't been this hard carry widow mm -hmm. type player in a hot minute, and I feel like Exy has. Like I feel like when I think of Exy, I just think of big dick McCree moves, like. As good as it gets. Like, yeah, of course. he probably undresses Carpe. Yeah. So... And that's it. Yeah, but XC refused to play Ash, so, you know, L plus ratio on that one. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he plays Ash now. I don't know. All I know is that during the heaviest Ash meta that we've ever seen, yeah. one of the heaviest, he just, the guy would just never blow, uh, he'd go, Fair. Uh, what, you know, he'd, he'd just pick anything but Ash. I'm like, please just go Ash. Like, you are yeah. not doing any favors to your team. But, you know, I, I'm holding on to old fuse there. Um, this team is stacked on DPS. They got Sparkle, Doha, then... On top of that, they got two new players. So I don't think they're going to struggle with really having the flexibility to make everything work. I mean, this almost seems like an overcorrection. Like, Fuel is a team that was so lacking in hitscan, they overcorrected in the offseason. But you know what? We should get two. So Edison and Gurrier. So Gurrier is another hitscan specialist. Um, and you can really hedge your bets on this DPS line because if anybody doesn't work, they got enough backline, they got enough uh, substitutions here to really really make whatever DPS combination they want to, to be the one that will get them across the line. So Rush is taking zero chances here. Yeah. Um, 
Gurio is to me. People ask, well, like, well, you know, how good is Gurio? I think he is maybe not the top, top, top hit scan or even DPS prospect coming out of Contenders career, but he is pretty underrated. He was definitely one of, if not the best player on G Super Sun. Mm-hmm. G Super Sun was pretty, uh, probably quite a middling team. I'm not saying that you can't have good players out of middling or even bad teams. I mean, just look at some of the players that came out from Oz Gaming last year, like Skewed came out of there, but then some other players like Friday and, and you know, Checkmate and one that came out of there as well. We'll give Checkmate another chance, but um, so there's a chance that Gurio could be good. I just don't know yet. I just don't know because yeah. he didn't. He was he was good, but he never he never like blew me away in Contenders career. Chio did blow me away. Chio I thought was a fantastic player. He comes from Runaway, then onto Ultra Blast, um, and was always a very top contender for the main support role. Is that a I would say more than adequately fulfilled Jex's position? They haven't replaced Repel, which is maybe a concern. Uh, I don't know if Chio can really pick up the the flex supports. Never really yeah. saw that, but he never really had to do that. To be fair, most 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 um, main support players never had to do that. So they got everything solid. I mean, fearless Harmon, that that writes itself right there. No no comment there. I mean, that's perfect. Don't need to make any changes. Um, Dallas are pretty much done. I don't think they're going to be making any other signings for some time. Mm. From what we can gather from what Dare said, yeah. I mean, I've talked to Tasma as well, but like you know, it doesn't seem like Dallas will be making any other moves. Yet maybe they'll pick up another flex support. The option is there, but right now they're yeah. pretty content with where they are. Um, final judgment on, on where you think this roster is. It retains so much of the Dallas Field pieces, but you, you gotta say it's a top roster, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to really argue otherwise. I think that this is a proven roster, has the flexibility to perform, and has kind of improved in that sector. So yeah, love it. Great job. Yeah. Cool. I, you like it, Yiska? Yeah, I think enjoy it. I think there's nothing really to hate about this other than, like, I guess the flex, the seconds flex. This is like, I, th- I feel like the fuel in the past have very often said something like, oh, yeah, we are just about done with our roster building. And then they come in with one more big signing over <laughs> the top. The season, they add like two to three new people. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I feel yeah. like that needs to be the flex support role. Um, so we'll see how that goes. By their time. All right. Well, that's going to be uh, fuel done and dusted. Now we are going to be signing off for a very long episode 199. A bit of preamble. There was a lot to talk about today. Uh, so potentially apologies for making this one super long. Or maybe you enjoy long episodes. It's so long that you, by now, uh, if you've finished listening to it, you've either gone for a second car ride or you listen to the first half on your first commute and now your second half on your back commute backwards. I have no idea. But the next episode is going to be the the big one. Episode 200, big surprise there. Make sure you tune in next week. And then we'll go back to our regular scheduled off-season talk, more proper Overwatch 2 stuff in 201. So if you're waiting to hear about your team, I do apologize again. We'll get to your team in 201. I swear it'll be good. But thank you again. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.